Whoa. Hey, roll call. <laughs> how's, it, how's it going? All right, uh, Mr. COVID. Can you get COVID over the internet? I don't know. It could could get it. We'll see. I've had Hello? it, but I don't know if it was the same strain. Right. Because it was like at the cusp of that strain breaking out, so I don't know. So you could give okay. it to me. I Now we just need Joe to, to chime in. He's there. Whether there. he can hear us or not, I'm not sure. Hopefully he resolves his mic issues. Indeed. So how are you feeling? Yeah, so I, I had a tale of two, uh, two vacations. You got a tale of two vacations? You, yeah, you got a tale of the... Half of the vacation, we were out having a blast. Wonderful. Yeah. And then the second half, we sat at home and did nothing all day long. And, you know, with half of the family having it, and then I, I joined them, and Zach apparently still doesn't have it. Are you, uh, are you on uh, vacation now? Or is that? It's it's all over now. This is oh, the last it's day. over. So you uh-huh. did you missed the whole week? No. So, um, I, we, you know, we so we had all last week. So, from Saturday through Wednesday, we did all sorts of fun things and stuff, and probably unknowingly spread COVID to who knows how many hundreds of people. And then on Thursday, Stacy tested positive because she wasn't feeling well. well that's a bummer. <clears throat> Joe's having trouble with the. Uh, you can't try, hear. Try unplugging. Unplugging. <laughs> yes, unplugging. He says, "Hey." He'll probably go to his uh, computer mic if he does that. At least that's what mine does when I unplug. Mm-hmm. Do you hear a lot of uh, background noise? Like, no, is that me? Do no, I need to unplug? No, 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 no. I was just wondering because I have the window open. Do you hear mm. it? You guys I locked out and locked back on. Can you hear me? Yes, you're in no. there. You're in. Joe, right. is that you? Woo! Yeah, it's me. Oh, what a morning. How's everybody yeah. doing? Sorry about that. Oh, no problem. We were just uh, talking about uh, the COVID. Uh, Rob, Rob's all sick. Oh, geez. That's no good. He's not that sick, though, because he's here. I think that's how it's been lately when people are getting it. It's like they have a couple of bad days, then they're usually okay. It's like yeah. it's tamer it's pretty, or something. It's pretty much a cold. Yeah. Exactly. For me, that's how it was. Stacy, my wife, she was down and out. For about a day and a half, I'd say. I mean, like Thursday, she slept. I, I would say at least fourteen hours. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. I didn't have it nearly as. I haven't had it nearly as bad, I should say. Yeah. And my daughter, uh, she has intermittent cough, where maybe every you know half hour or whatever she might cough a little, but she feels totally fine. And Zach, so far, is still testing negative. So, I mean, we're not. We didn't test him today. It's really, you know, no point. Nobody's going anywhere, but right. I didn't test positive until like 
a day and a half after I had already Symptoms. was sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was already sick. Yeah, so I just you know, thought my... I thought it was a regular cold. I was like, okay, I just got and, a regular and... cold because I'm not positive. But then I checked the next day because I started to have a fever the next day, and I was like, huh. I and I think that I would have again. assumed the same, but because you know I already knew that Stacy and Allie were both sick, I was able to kind of like timeline my symptoms. And yeah, I, for like two days, I knew I was even though it wasn't testing it. For two days pr um, prior, I knew that I, I had it too. It just wasn't enough yeah. virus in my system to to record me as positive yet. You sound pretty good. I mean, I, you don't you don't sound like crap. <laughs> no, I sound I sound better than yes. Yesterday I was really, really, really like rough sounding. Yeah. Um, it's starting to get a little bit better. Yeah, you just sound a little stuffy, all. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely congested. You sounded that way though the last time we recorded. <laughs> Probably allergies. <laughs> so I just thought it was normal. <laughs> uh, so Joe meet Chris. Chris meet Joe. We have known each other through the, the, the tweet verse for a while. Yeah, but the, you haven't heard each other's voice. But this voices. is the first time to talk, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've heard his voice. I've heard hours of his voice. Uh, <laughs> between, uh, so, Same. yeah, I was trying to, was trying to remember if, if we'd ever actually spoken before, and I don't think we have, but um, it's hard to tell when you've heard somebody on podcasts and stuff like that for, for quite a few years. But, yeah, I think it's gone – I think it's – quite a few years now that we've been acquainted through Twitter anyway. Yeah. I was, I always like to say, um, Chris was, is one of my favorite pod fade cases. I loved myth making, et cetera. That was a great show. Oh, thank you very much. That's these, that's these nice people that pod fade. I just don't get it. No, <laughs> no, I do get it. Cause I've done no, it. I myself. totally get it. I, I've done it with like three or four shows on our feed because it's just, uh, there's not enough time in the day. Yes, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. It's not because I don't want to. It's just there's right. just not enough time. So how are you guys all doing in the world of comics other than being sick? I'm great. You're great? Are you reading? Mm -hmm. Are you able to read, uh, Rob? Oh, yeah. See, I couldn't. Like, I just didn't have the energy. I think I had a worse case. I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you sound like you. it was much Cause worse. Because I, I took a whole week off, and... Uh, I couldn't read a comic book until like day four. Like oh, I just wow. didn't have the energy. I just watched a lot of Hulu and all kinds of other shows. But, uh, <laughs> I just, I was like brain dead. I just didn't want to, uh, to exercise oh, my I've, brain. I've definitely, you know, had those types of illnesses too, where you literally can't concentrate. But luckily, I mean, like I said, this has been super for me, super mild. So, um, but yeah, it's okay. So let's, I mean, we got to welcome, officially welcome Joe yes. to Geek Brunch Retrocast. Woohoo! Thank you, guys. I, this is like a treat, because this is, a, this is getting to work with some of my favorite people in the biz, man. <laughs> the only yes, thing is, uh, we're, now we're, done, we're down one listener. <laughs> if we, you know, if we, so if we invite a couple more people on the show, it'll just be... You know, It'll no just be, be us, just <laughs> cannibalizing our audience. <laughs> well, if we bring, of it that way. If we bring Jack on, we can gain Kristen. So there you go, because she'll <laughs> listen to the kids. She won't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, we're missing Kirk because he's not a heathen like the rest of us. 
<laughs> He's a good boy. Yeah, so Mikey <laughs> must have invited him without telling him when we record. Yes. <laughs> I, I was amused by that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I tried. <laughs> Hopefully he can make it sometime, because we've recorded maybe one or two of these at night, but it's not often. Yeah, and you know you... what? Now he has an opening, uh, you know, standing invitation, obviously, to join us at yeah. any point that he wants to. And he <clears> could <throat> come late. It sounds like he might make a, a couple if he doesn't do his, like, full church and meal and everything he does with the family. But we're all heathens. It's Sunday. That's when we record. Uh, none of us have gone to church yet. Well, maybe Joe has, but I, I know the rest of us haven't. Today? God, I can't remember the last time I was at church in probably eight years. <laughs> I I um, think I, I beat you to that. I think I went to one <laughs> Christmas Mass with my family, I don't know, six years ago. But uh, other than that, I haven't been... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, when did you guys <laughs> used to record um, every, DC Everything Else? Was, the the uh, problem is we, we used to do Sunday. We did a couple of Sunday nights, but mm -hmm. we, we did a weekday one time. I think you guys recorded one without me. And, yeah. uh, man, it was just hard to to get it going because I knew I couldn't record. And Joe can record. Rob doesn't record. You record. So there's... Now we have three people that actually can record out of five of us, if, if you count Kirk, if he can make it. So the idea is we could keep the show going, you know, when others of us are missing. Because <clears throat> I'm going on a vacation next week, but um, I, I hope I don't get the, the COVID um I have another vacation in September. We're going to a wedding, so uh, that that's like a a super spreader. <laughs> Where's that? That's in Albuquerque. Oh. Yeah. So is that a drive or a flight? A uh, drive. Well, less less likely than a flight, at least. But I don't know, wedding. That sounds still pretty risky. Yeah. Well, I can wear a mask, I guess. Yeah. I haven't been wearing we... a mask lately, at least at work, but I'm not usually around people. And then no, no. But I still wear it to the grocery stores and all the congested plate, but I don't wear it to restaurants anymore because I figure I'm I'm without the mask 80% of the time drinking or eating, so I'm already infected if I'm at the restaurant. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole time where they said, yeah, you got to keep it on until you yeah. get your I mean, it's it's just. I mean, obviously they wanted they didn't want every restaurant to go out of business. Yeah, that was that was the the thinking behind it because there's no logical explanation. You know, right, because you're because you you're, you're walking to your table. You're gonna get it at the restaurant if you're gonna get it. So that's I, I stopped using that <clears throat> there. But um, yeah. Me and Stacy, we just pushed our luck. Uh, it's too too much. Of well, you were at a lot of you were at one big museum. I know Joe was uh, just recently on vacation too, weren't you? Yeah, we were in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crowded at the do... museums too. Zoos and everything is. Pretty I mean, that's crowded. the thing. We tried to do like outside activities too, but we think we got it at the um, at the where we went to Weird Al in Art Park, which is 
um, it's a it's a open air venue that usually sells lawn seats as well as seated, um, you know, actual seats uh, inside the actual auditorium. But for whatever reason, they weren't selling. They didn't sell lawn seats, and they had a very heavy, thick curtain drawn closed all around you know where the open air would be for the lawn and it was stuffy as hell in there it was hot that day you know it was in the evening so it had a chance to bake in there the whole time and we were all sitting you know side by side so i i'm, I'm positive that's where we ended up getting it from did uh how, how was weird al Oh, he's he's so much. If you've never seen him in concert, he, well, he's well, I, very entertaining. I only saw some steel pictures, like, and he looked. He was like he was sitting in a chair. I was wondering, is he <laughs> up and about? So during the concert, the, he, that's a great question. He has two different types of shows. Yeah. His normal show is he's up and about all the time, going on and off stage. They they play funny, like um parody interviews like where he's pretending he's on 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 a screen like he pretends he's interviewing people and like just taking snippets of their answers to make it sound ridiculous and stuff while he's changing so like if he's playing if he's singing that fat song for you know the parody of bad you know he'll come back out in that huge fat costume or like whatever but this one is he's calling like some sort of a special vanity tour where he was playing all these original songs that he's written over the years, you know, cause typically his albums are half parodies and half original yeah. songs. So it's all original songs. So it's not the big, huge, um, parody hits. Um, which one so were you at? More, that's what this one was. The parody the, one or just his no, original? No, the low, the low oh, key okay. one. But so you didn't, was, you, uh, you didn't get fun. to hit any, hear any of his big hits. No, but we've gone before. I'd say, 10, 15 years ago, we'd seen him when he did all that. And so I have experience seeing that, but this was just a very pared down. And, and then like he actually, and then he does an actual real cover of a song, you know, uh, as part of the encore, he, he sang, uh, what, what did he play? Um, Renegade by Tom Petty, not yeah. a parody, just, just, so they just sang Renegade. Yeah. His band is really, really good. They can mimic all those different yeah. types of sounds, you know? So I, I remember the Michael Jackson knockoff, and I remember I lost a Jeopardy. Yeah. yeah. I lost a that Jeopardy a baby. And there, there, I don't know, there's a handful. Yeah. But I think that's when he was, like, at his peak. Like, because they were playing his stuff on the radio. And I even think right. I, I bought one of his cassettes, or my brother did. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But, um,. I yeah. feel like he had a mini comeback with like uh, what was it, White and Nerdy? White and Nerdy that, was huge, yeah. That was pretty big. Which mm-hmm. one did that have on it? What was the big hit on that one? Just White and Nerdy that White, I know of. Yeah, yeah, what's the real song? I don't, I don't forget what. Riding it's Dirty. Okay. But who yeah. do, who sings that? Oh heck, if I know it's it's hip hop song. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know too much hip hop, so but, that's why. But the original artist. Put it like put the link on his website, right? To Weird Al's version and stuff, and like got tons of extra views and stuff like that for the, I guess the video, I something. God, that would have been like the MySpace era because I remember that was one of the jokes in it is about his top seven friends or whatever. So it's been a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, it's, um, it was it was fun, but that's it, the I don't know. It, we well, could have gotten it anywhere. I know, listened but. to him, and he was he made, and I listened to the, like the Cheech and Chong albums, which did a lot of spoofs on songs as well, uh, and also the band that's kind of serious but kind of funny uh, is they might be giants because oh, yeah. they they do a lot of strange songs uh but yeah i i, I listened to weird al he, he had some good <laughs> videos too back in the day he did I and he was in well, uhf he was in that yeah, movie yeah. yeah yeah i i showed the kids a lot of when years ago i would play the real song and then i'd or I played the real video rather, and then I play Weird Al's version of it. Yeah. And they, they started getting into it because of that. They were seeing the contrast because obviously ah. they had no idea what the original songs were. That's fun. cool. Yeah. I think my favorite was the the Jeopardy song, but that was because off of the Greg Kinn band. Um. Hit. That was a good song. Yeah, one of my favorites is. Uh, <clears throat> um. Smells like Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that's a funny video too because it totally parodies. Yeah. Uh, Nirvana's video. <laughs> so what else did you get to do on your vacation? Uh, so that was early on. That was the Friday. Uh, you know, my last last day of work, and then we went to a minor league baseball game, the Buffalo Bisons uh, downtown. So that was a lot of fun, uh, but they did lose four to one, so that was too bad. Are they? Um, uh, the, uh, were they a farm team too? The Blue Jays. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we, we lost did a minor our. League... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say we did a minor league baseball uh, game on our trip too. We went and saw the sounds. So that must just be a thing that people do go to a baseball game out of town. That's what we always used to do anyway. So that's what, cool. What, what, what was the fun. farm? Who are they a farm team too? Do you know? Oh man, I did, but I've forgotten now. Oh, okay. Yeah. As a matter of fact, oh, what'd you say, um, Chris? I was asking Joe what they were called again. I was going to look it up. Oh, it's the Nashville Sounds. What we I was going to say, we haven't been to a ball that... game, but we don't have a minor league team anymore. We have the the level below that. Double A. Yeah. Yeah. And we've um, never been to the. Ever, we used to have the Sky Sox. They used to be a farm team to the Rockies. And uh, now we have the... I don't even know what they're called anymore. It's like a... <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what we're called anymore. But I know the mascot's like a schmore. He looks like a marshmallow between two <laughs> graham crackers. <laughs> That's funny. Some of the mascots on those minor leagues, they, they're amazing. Like, I actually have gone out and bought ball caps. Just, I know nothing about the team, but just because mm-hmm. the logos are just so inventive and, and wacky, I'm like, I, I just got to have one of these hats. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so back when COVID was, was very strict and Canada was much stricter than us, the Blue Jays, I think it's last year, I think it's last year, the year before, I don't remember which, um, they actually played, had to play a bunch of their home games in, here in Buffalo because they couldn't play in, in Canada. Ah. Because of the rules. Yeah, I think it was um, part of last year and then the year before that, too, I think. We we went to a game. Um, we went to a Blue Jays game there uh, 
before they moved back to not I think it was like a few weeks before they moved back um to Toronto for the second half of the season. Oh, that's cool. So it was kind of weird. There. Yeah, it was pretty cool to like see actual Major League Baseball um you know close to home, but uh, it worked out. We and we went to a Bison's game um a few weeks ago too and it's it, they had to like um they put a whole bunch of money into the stadium to to upgrade it to major league standards you know so they used to like uh like the relief pitchers used to just like warm up along the sidelines and now they have like a an actual bullpen and they have upgraded lighting and everything like that so it kind of worked out well for the stadium <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> that's pretty cool the uh nashville sounds are the triple a affiliate of the milwaukee brewers oh nice okay okay that uh, makes sense brewers. yeah only for the last um only for the last two years though prior to that they were all kinds of different stuff which you know same thing with the bison same thing with most minor league teams yeah. they move around they but, switch yeah it's weird yeah back the, back Texas. when i was a kid there was the albuquerque dukes and the dodgers and they were always the dodgers farm team so Chris, what, what were the bisons year? before were they the indians before they were at one point, and they were also um, the Pirates at one point. I thought Pirates. That's going, I think, way back, like yeah. when yeah, I was a kid and stuff. Ago. But yep. yeah, yeah, I think the, mostly those are the big ones. Yeah, the River Bandits, the one here in the Quad Cities, they were like really good for a couple of years, and they were like the Astros farm team. And we went and saw them July 4th, and they just stunk. And then uh, I looked it up, and yeah, they work for the Royals now. So there you go. So <laughs> We used to always like, though, going to the Sky Sox because, Chris, I mean, you've been here. That you, that stadium is, like, really close. Like, it's walking distance. So. Oh, that's nice, Mike. Yeah. We used to like to go because – we were big into the Rockies games and then the Rockies would get injured and they would come, they would come down here to rehab. Yeah. So you get to see yep. the pro, the pro players, you know, rehab over here. And it was awesome. Mm. And then it was cool to see some of the guys get called up, you know, like if you were watching a game and you know, they got called up because of an injury. Mm-hmm. That was also cool to see. I remember one time Dave justice went to Macon and uh, Macon Braves Park was not set up to handle the amount of people that showed up when he was rehabbing down there. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> that place was a dump. <laughs> but it's incredible how many people show up when they know that a big player is rehabbing. Right. Because they really want to get like that ball signed. And in, in, in those minor league fields, they're designed for the fan. Like right. you could be, you could be right over the dugout, like right on top of it. <laughs> and as they come out, you could say, "Could you sign this baseball?" You know. Yep. And that's what I was telling, like when we were getting tickets for uh, the Sounds game, they were one of the people with us was worried about it. I was like, "Dude, it's a minor league park in Nashville. There's not going to be a bad seat." And there <laughs> wasn't. Yeah. Because you know, they they have sight lines like perfectly. Because if anything, like most of the parks you'll go to, they'll only have like. They won't have an outfield seating, so they're only going to have it, you know, third baseline, first baseline, you know, infield. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so like every seat's going to be a good one. That's cool. Any other highlights, uh, Rob? You want to mention? 
So the only other, the two other things we did, and I'll just tell you real quickly, we went to, um, <clears throat> we went to old Fort Niagara. Uh, there's the, there's the Fort Niagara was, uh, right on the border between the United States and Canada. And during the revolutionary war and, and then especially the war of 1812, it actually, it had like saw action where it like changed hands and stuff like that. Like the British took it back during the, um, in the 1800s. Yeah, temporarily, and then we got it back after they they signed the treaty when the war was over. And so it's like just really old 1700-type buildings and stuff. So we just walked around there. That was relaxing. That's cool. I like stuff yeah, like and, that. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, I went on a field trip day. there when I was in like elementary school or something. <laughs> I was wondering if the kids would – it certainly wasn't their favorite uh, place to go, you know, over the course of yeah. the being that they're nine but they still i mean they still had fun so it was mm-hmm. just a change in pace and then we went out to rochester they have a um big uh children's museum uh there and uh we we used to um go regularly before covid so this is the first time actually um since covid started that we went back there and um the, you know all the things for the kids to do they they run around they play uh then there's like some older stuff. Like we spent some time at the, they have an arcade on the um, second floor where you can get, you know, all the games are only one quarter. Is so. it a, is it an old school arcade or? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I love those, yeah. the pinball machines and the space. Yeah. Invaders everything from and like the eighties through the, probably the late nineties, I would say. Um, so burger yeah. Burger time. Yeah. Burger Chris, time. You... Sure. They got burger time. <laughs> Chris, when we when we when you were here, we went to Manitou, didn't we? I can't um, remember. Was that the like we we Our, did go to an arcade where yeah was, yeah that um, was Manitou like up on a hill. Yeah. Well, everything's on a hill, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole like little like neighborhood with shops and stuff was all yeah. on an incline, is what I mean. And there was a yeah like a old school arcade. I think yeah it was like a Superman pinball machine and stuff. Yeah 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 we. I think I have a picture of that, like where we're playing yeah. Donkey Kong or something. I can't remember. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so we were wondering. I mean, they're so they're about two years older than the last time, even older than uh, maybe two and a half years. The last time we were we were there, and there's this one whole like adventure area where you run, just basically you're running around. There's all these different themes, whether it's fantasy, ha- haunted houses, um, pirate ships, you know, stuff like that, and it's all interconnected. And they used to spend hours there. Yeah. They probably spent 20 minutes to a half an hour there because oh, yeah. they're so much older. Well, so I'm like, oh, God, is this going to be like the uh, – it's kind of sad, you know? It's like, oh, my God, they're they're outgrowing it. But then we spent so much time in other areas that it's like kind of made up for it. So yeah. I'm like, okay, good. We, we, we can still enjoy ourselves for a few more years there. Hey, Joe, you used to be in Denver area, didn't you? I did, yeah. We lived there for 2004 to 2008-ish. Yeah, did, do you remember, did you ever go to Casa Bonita? Heck yeah, man. <laughs> I thought that, can I be honest with you? We Do we have the explicit label on this show? I think we do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. on okay. everything. On the show, yes, we okay. do. Mike can't thought, keep his mouth. Uh... I thought when I saw that on South Park that that shit was made up. I could not believe that that was a real place. And they're like, oh, yeah, what do you mean the South Park episode? It's down the road off, um, oh, man, what road is that off of? 
I, I can't remember, but yeah, it's it's crazy. Like yeah. the the, sh- the show's talking about Colfax, like, cliff divers, it? and like yeah, pirates it's, it's caves off of and all this stuff. Colfax, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yep. it's totally real. It's just in the middle of a strip mall. It doesn't look like anything, and then you get in, it's like bang in your face. It's crazy. Yeah, well, that that yeah. that's just like um a, a kid thing though. Like I I think as I grew older, I like lost my fandom of that place because it it was like as a kid i mean they had all the caves and stuff like you can eat in a mine and you can watch (laughs) a guy dive off a a cliff and and you can also uh they had those like haunted caves you know like you can crawl through right Mm -hmm. and as a kid man that was like a paradise i didn't even care about eating and when I was when I was really young, there was right next to a Toys R Us, and we didn't have a Toys R Us in New Mexico, so it was like I I had never seen a toy store as big as Toys R Us. Like I, they were all those mall toy stores, and I I just my mind was blown. So that was one of my favorite things as a you know nine year old to go visit was Casa Bonita and and, and Toys R Us. <laughs> Did I you know the um, star or star the um, South Park guys bought Casa Bonita? Yeah, yeah, they did last recently. year. They're gonna like reopen it. Right, they, they they did it during the COVID. Yeah, yeah. They haven't reopened yet, but they're gonna they're going to soon, I guess. I I, I want to go go back though because it's been a while. It, you know when it does open to it the 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 food isn't that great. I mean, if you had ever heard of the chain restaurant Ponchos, it's very much like that. But uh, you could get like all you can eat sopapillas, which was nice yep. because you could raise the flag and. Yeah, I was about to say you put the flag <laughs> up and you get more. <laughs> you get more more sopapillas. So like, if you want to eat honey and sopapillas, that's the place to go. <laughs> you just keep raising the flag up. <laughs> that's yeah. cool. So before we get into stuff, I just want. Uh, I just want to put a recommendation out there. It's it's obviously it's not retro, but I saw, I saw X the other day. Oh yeah, I saw that. It's funny that oh. you said that because I put it in my bookmarks because I was like I wanted to see it. I highly recommend it. Is it is very it's a very very good horror movie. What it's, what was it, that on on? I I rented it on. Amazon oh yeah, because I I looked box. at it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, but it was it's very well done. Um, you will. I learned afterwards that, that I guess they were shooting in New Zealand, and uh, the director is Ty West. Um, and he asked one of the um act- actors if they wanted to stay behind because during I guess they had a break for during COVID that they were kind of shut down. And so he wrote an entire prequel based on one of the characters. Yeah. And um, he asked the uh, the actor, do, you know, do you want to stay, uh, you know, do you want to stay back and, and shoot this back to back and shoot a prequel? And she said, yeah, ab- absolutely. So there's going to be a prequel coming out by the end of the year. Well, that's but cool. It, I, I, I do I do want to see that. And I've, yeah, I've been kind of waiting it. for it to hit like this you know one of my services because i'm already spending an arm and a leg on all these <laughs> yeah, I get a yeah, exactly oh did but, you like um, fr- did you like fresh though that was kind of different huh 
I'm telling you, it's like that was <laughs> that was really that was another one that is so over the top. Yeah, it could have been just a really. I don't know, like a really cheap, not cheesy, but like just a, like, you know, <clears throat> a B movie. Yeah. It was it was not. It was great. Well, the reason I knew it wasn't going to be cheesy because it was Searchlight <clears throat> and they're kind of like mm-hmm. an artsy fartsy branch of Fox. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't I didn't realize that. But but it was Sebastian it was Stan, really like the guy who plays Winter Soldier, he can act <laughs> Yeah. like I, I'm yeah. watching Pam and. And Tommy right now, uh-huh. he he's freaking incredible in that. Like wow, he's amazing playing Tommy Tommy Lee. Yeah, that's an incredible show. I mean, I I knew nothing about it other than I remember being, you know, that age and hearing about the sex tape, mm-hmm. but I I never knew some of the behind the scenes stuff. But it's 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 a fascinating uh, TV show for sure. Wow. That's, what is that on Hulu? Yeah, it's worthwhile <clears throat> watching because, especially the first episode, because that's the episode where you learn how they got the tape, mm-hmm. and it's pretty incredible. I I would just say as a contractor, like if I was like a carpenter or whatever, I would never want to work for somebody famous. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, well, I hear some of them are awesome. Like I I knew this guy named Rock, and he used to do like the trees for Bon Jovi. And he says Bon Jovi was awesome. So, like, I, I can't judge all the rock stars, but Tommy yeah. Lee was, like, an asshole to his contractors, man. <laughs> yeah. I guess not a huge surprise. And I'm not even a big Motley Crue guy, but... No. I I find this show fascinating. Like, it, I, I, I'm not done with it yet. I'm about six episodes in, but... Uh, yeah, I'm glad you liked Fresh though. That was I, I thought Fresh it was... was was great. I like I said, I recommend anyone's interested in in you know horror movies put X down on your list and wait for it to come out on Prime or whatever. But it's well worth it. Prey is really good too. That's all I've heard is that everyone has. I haven't seen it yet. Everyone has said that. Yeah, we saw it last night. Really good. Really good. Yeah, we were going to watch it, but we decided to do the first episode of Sandman instead. Oh, yeah. So, we we, we so. have that queued up, too. We have, God, it just seems like every week there's something. There's too much. And I was like, we I don't have enough time. We've Sandman so far. It, mm-hmm. I, we're going to, I mean, we stopped. We, we just started watching the new season of Stranger Things. Got two episodes in, and then Sandman came out. And we're like, okay, taking a break from Stranger Things because we're watching <laughs> all of the Sandman. I mean, that's, Stacey, that's we... what Stacey got. That was Stacey's first, like, comic books that she that she ever read um so she totally like you know uh all in for sandman and it's amazing so far joe what did you think of the I, first we episode? we really really liked it uh jack and i Kristen was kind of like yeah i like paper girls <laughs> better so we went back to watching paper girls after the first episode so that might be one just me and the kiddo watch but i i liked it a lot i i had no idea uh that it was going to go so close to that very first uh I don't remember if that's the first because the trades came print the stuff out of order. Was that the first story? It is. In, it is okay. the first story. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and it was it was pretty close to it. I feel like from what very, I can remember. Very, anyway. very close. Stacy's just started rereading that first volume. I don't think she got through the whole thing, but she was like, "Oh my god!" She's like, "This is exactly like the first, right. like the beginning, the first issue and stuff." She's like, "It's weird crazy. how watching stuff like that gets you to reread stuff." 
Yeah. Because like uh, I'm watching the boys. That's the other show that we're watching, and I'm rereading the boys along with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's like a different experience, man. Reading yeah. the boys versus watching it is so different. Yeah. So far, well, I remember reading it because I bought the Wildstorm. Like it was at Wildstorm first. Right, and, for a and handful of issues, for right? like six issues, or maybe right. four, maybe maybe it was four. I can't remember. And then it got they kicked pretty. Quick. It got kicked quick because of the yeah. controversy, and then Dynamite picked it up, yep. and uh, I continued on with it, but I I don't I didn't remember a lot of it. Like, I I really think the show, at least the way they paced it, versus like the first few issues of the boys is much better and like i i think i think they pace it better for like a larger audience for sure mm-hmm. well yeah. i i really like that the show has really gotten rid of the homophobia that's very pervasive in the comic yeah 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 because i mean it's that kind of overwhelmed me reading it, it's it this sort last of there it's... with it's sort of there with the starlight going back to that right thing. yeah and um when but they butcher actually... is like every other word in the comic. It feels like. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's still bad. I mean, right. <laughs> he uses the right. c word a lot. So. Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was one I was rereading. It I was like, man, this is actually a lot worse than I thought. And I feel like they do a better job with um the superheroes in it as well. Yeah. Like, they, they do a lot more development. Like you get, you get who Homelander is pretty quick in the show, and like it's ages before the comic. I think really gives you a grasp of him. Yeah. Oh, he's awful in the show. Yeah, God. he's freaking horrible. He's the, just, worst. he's the worst. <laughs> I, I've never read the comic. I've only uh, watched the show. Yeah. I think you're okay. I, I, I think the show's personally. I like the show better than the books. Yeah. There are there are shows that well, I I there are shows that I like more than the comics. And there's 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 several like the what is it the end of the fucking world or yeah that was a good one that show (laughs) that show is so much more depth than the comic book itself. You're right. I agree. Charles Foreman's comic book. You know. In 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 the show, well, where well, as opposed to a movie where they have to condense everything, yeah, you get like six eight episodes. They got a lot of time to develop some of these characters. Well, every one of Charles Forsman's book on and Netflix has been like way better than his books. Like they're incredible. Agreed. Like they yeah. they just explore like he gets into the topics, but they like get into the weeds of it, and it's like this is amazing where you took it, like. It adds so many more dimensions and the actors that play the characters. Oh my God, they're so good. Yeah. So there are elements that I actually like better when they're in visual representation than comics, but it, it is it is rare, um, but it does happen. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, since this is your first uh, Geek Brunch Retro, do you want to kick us off? All uh, right. No. I, so I, it's I forget. Do we trade off as we go, or am I, or am I going to do a couple at once? No, no you just, do, you trade what? off. We, okay. we kind of go cool. round robin. All right, that'll work. So I'll go ahead and start off uh, with 
the uncanny man frog, even though I think in the indicia it says man frog. Uh, so this is uh, the number one issue. There was only two issues of it from Mad Dog Graphics. This came out in uh, July of 1987. <laughs> I haven't even heard of this one. No. So, so, so you're, <laughs> you're really showing me something Man I haven't frog. heard of. Yeah. So wow. it's got, it's got uh, this cover where um, there's a wolf boy. There's a, a, a small fella riding a wolf. There's a guy who's obviously half man and half frog, hence the name. And then there's a guy who, I don't know, this it's not a, definitely not a, an image they would use these days. It's Aztec, but he's kind of got like, I don't know, like a bone through his nose, like a typical representation of a cannibal back from like Gilligan's Island days. And he's got like one of those Mayan axes. So yeah, this, a, well, I'm it's very much like, he well, doesn't seem to know where he's from. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's a got, big... He, his headdress looks like American. It, well, no, I guess more like Aztec. Yeah. But yeah, he's got the, the bone through his through his nose like an African, you know, depiction. Yeah. He's a he's well, a that's like a, cultural appropriation. So yeah. yeah, the the jungle safari used to have that in in uh, right. Disneyland. But uh, yeah, for sure. Yep. So and then on the on the front page, uh, they show you the different fellows. One uh, Aristotle is the man frog. Spider Duvall. That's a weird name for a wolfman spider, but whatever. The astonishing ant is the the small fella. Galley the Great is the one who is uh, kind of all over the place with what he's uh, representing. And Ears Finston, shock of all shocks, is a fella named Ears. Um, he's got big ears. So there you go. On the uh, co- on the cover, which one's he- that character? He's not on the cover. Oh, okay. Who's Unless the guy? Who's the guy? Hunts- who's the guy riding the dog? That's uh, the astonishing ant. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this is a story by John Woolley, and the pencils are Terry Tidwell, and I've never heard of either one of those folks, but you know, it was the, it was the '80s. It was the this was the last gasp of the uh, black and white boom. So this was you know dollar bin fodder when I found it pretty recently. So we're at a fair, and I guess basically these uh, guys are going to kind of be like the equivalent of what would it be called? What do you call a freak show now? Do they still say freak show? I mean, terminology changes They, they, they now. did on American Horror Story. Well, there you go. So, so. they said a freak show, and uh, we open up, and there's a duck booth, and there's a kid wanting to play the ducks, and you know it's that thing where you, like, uh, pull the numbers off the duck and, like, you win a prize. So, anyway, a guy pulls out a duck. He's like, I got number 23. 23 is an autographed picture of Leonard Nimoy, Mr. Spock on Star Trek. And these little kids, <laughs> these little kids are really excited. So you can tell it's 87. Yeah, for me, been... it was a uh, Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> yes, you had a Farrah Fawcett poster. You're like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so then these kind of hoodlums come up and uh, nice cap, dork. And they like pull the cap off this little kid. I'm like, it's a kid's cap. Why is a grown man still in a little kid's hat? He can't wear it, but whatever. Um, so they run the kids off. They kind of shove the lady who's running the booth. And they start ripping up the teddy bears in front of her. And so we are back in the freak's tent. And they hear... Uh, they hear the the lady screaming at the duck booth, so they all get together and run over there. And uh, they say, it sounds like Wilma. Let's go, guys. And what are you gentlemen up to tonight? And uh, the dog, apparently named Mangler, the one that the astonishing ant rides, is uh, gurring at them. So, looks to me like you guys have been causing some trouble here. We're trying to run a clean carnival, and we don't like trouble. And then he uh, puts his hand in his face, and you can see 
like a frog, his fingers are webbed. You know, so, and he's green and spotted. Well, you can't tell that. That's from the cover. But anyway, so I uh, they get into a fight. He, he, he can't do anything because the frogman has super reflexes, I guess. He punches the galley, and uh, I guess he has Aztec abs of stone. I don't, Do Aztecs have abs of stone? I don't know. But he punches in them. Nothing happens. Mangler, uh, the dog, attacks him, and they do a close-up of him, and Mangler apparently only has one eye, so I guess he got mangled. Um, so the guys give up pretty quick. Later, uh, the guys are stewing because they got kicked out of the carnival by a bunch of freaks, and they're coming up with something they're going to do. Apparently, there's also a stripper at this carnival. I never went to a carnival with a stripper. Was that a thing? I don't remember that. Okay, well, this carnival has a stripper. So they've decided over beers that they're going to pay back the carnival by going and uh, kidnapping the stripper. So anyway, stripper's done with her set. She comes out. Uh, hey, Sheila, you got plans tonight? Yeah, I'm meeting Tom Cruise. He, he, right. I don't even think the joke was that good, but whatever. So she, <laughs> she gets snatched, and uh, they carry her off. Um, Wolf Boy's drinking a 40, or that could be wine. I'm not sure. Could go either way. I don't know what he prefers. Uh, they're closing up the duck thing because apparently when the freak show's done, they go help close down the duck booth. Uh, they realize the stripper's been swiped. They jump on a bike and they haul butt to go try to find where she's at. They catch up to the car and it's Frogman. And of course, he's able to leap off the bike driven by Galley onto the uh, top of the car. They swerve into the woods. Everybody jumps out, but he's a frog dude, so he's able to catch him really quick. Uh, <laughs> our guy with the, like, Mayan hatchet uh, starts swinging at these guys, and, of course, they give up pretty quick. Uh, they tie them up, and they say they're going to make them go through uh, what freaks always do for initiation. So they leave them tied up in the woods for a few hours. Then they come back, and he just sits in front of them. He's like, are you going to let us go? You're going to be in big trouble. And, you know, he does nothing. And we flip the page. There's a nice big slinter, uh, centerfold. You get the stripper cozying up to the wolfman and just a picture of everybody. And you get your first picture of, a uh, what was it, Ears McGee's name? Ears Finston. So, all right. Skip the cover, uh, the uh, centerfold. We're back to them tied up in the woods. Well, they, what's uh, in the centerfold? That was just a picture of everybody. Uh, okay. So yeah, the centerfold was just like like say like a, a poster, of the stripper. like a pullout. Yeah, it would be like a pullout poster. So it's got like uh, Galley and the frog guy and uh, the ant fellas doing like juggling on top of Mangler, the ears guy. Like I say, I think it's the first time we've actually seen him in the issue, and the strippers cozied up to uh, the wolf guy. Ah. So. Mike heard, okay. <clears throat> Mike heard stripper and centerfold, and he was yeah. I was like, the, my uh, angel <laughs> is a centerfold. My eyes perked up. I want to go to that carnival. That's where I want to go. Why didn't my parents? Why didn't my parents take me to that one? <laughs> so um, then we go back. Uh, they're being carried off by Galley because you know he's a big dude. He carries off a couple, and Frog Guy carries off one. I already forgot what his name was. Frogman is an Aristotle. Yeah, Aristotle. Aristotle's carrying one of them. They carry him off to a trailer. You see a guy with a kind of like executioner mask on, except he's got these two big ears peering out from the sides of them. So I'm guessing that's Mr. Finston. He blindfolds them all and they take them into uh, the, the trailer. Remove the blindfolds. You bleep and better. Silence. You are here to be judged. 
Let's offer them some money. Yeah, they're just trying to scare us. Silence. We are here at the sacred tribunal to make a solemn judgment. You have violated the code of freaks and you must be judged for it. Silence. The witnesses will come forward. These hoodlums attacked me in the booth last night and they ripped the heads off my so- <laughs> of my stuffed animals. They assaulted young customers. Oh, that sounds horrible. I guess it's assaulting is taking the baseball cap. <laughs> I accuse these three defendants of destruction of private property, property, <laughs> public drunkenness, and and then he whispers to her, say, say assault with a deadly weapon, and assault with a deadly weapon because they pulled a knife. So does she um, look like Mickey Mouse? Because that's how you sound. <laughs> 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 she does look pretty small. I, I mean, <laughs> Hey Joe, so, you, we, we yeah. weren't going to say this 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 far, you know, close in to you know your debut, but th- that's the reason why you were um why why you were invited to the show is because of your your um your voice your voice impersonations. <laughs> Yay! Oh, we love it. I'll have to up the ante and do a, a day, Daisy. Do- I don't even know what Daisy sounds. <laughs> she I doesn't have the quack like Donald. Quack, she's just, quack, quack. Yeah, she's just more. Uh, is she like a Southern Belle or something? Anyway, so uh, <laughs> testimony now. So now the stripper's going to talk. Uh, so continue the testimony. You bet I will. These three snatched me tonight and well threatened me. I know what they had in mind. I say kill them. They got no respect for human feelings or human rights. As a woman, I feel violated. Well, thank you, Sheila, the stripper. They don't say the stripper. I just thought that was funny. Um, The tribunal has heard the evidence, and how do you vote? And so there's a thumbs down across the board. Wolf Boy, uh, Galley, and the Astonishing Ant all give a thumbs down. The sentence is death. There's three goblets. Only one contains poison, and so they make them all drink the poison. One of them spits it out, and so they, uh, they kind of waterboard him with it. So they all drink the poison. Turns out it was nothing but just drugged wine and their punishment is they're stripped down to their skivvies and put up on the water tower. Hey, isn't that our pal Robin in the middle? Sure is. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And that's basically the end of the main story. The only other thing they've really gotten here, they've got a quick couple of pages about the wolf boy and where he came from. It shows him biting the head off of a chicken, which is pretty gross. And it talks about as a kid, he was in the carnival and on one day he started getting a lot of hair and then he shave it off and it would come back. And now he likes to uh, eat chickens and the frog man offers him a uh, pizza. And he said, what kind of pizza would it be? And he said, pepperoni, no chicken. Thank you so much. <laughs> so anyway, and that was that. That was uh, the uh, issue from Mad Dog Graphics. They give a couple of uh, ads in the back. There's a big two-page ad for Eddie Current. It looks like a new 12-hour series. That's an interesting way of putting it. I've heard people do, when they say comics, and they don't want to call it comic, they'll call it an episode, but they call it, they call it 12 hours. So I guess each issue is an hour, and that's Ted McKeever. Then they've got uh, two ads, one for the actual novels uh, about this fella, but there was, a, I guess, a science fiction series. I've never heard of it. Keith Lomer's Retief. And it's adapted by Dennis Fujitaki and Jan Strand. I think they were the ones who did Delgada for, um, I don't remember which publisher that came out from, but one of those oldies from the back in the day. And then the back page is uh, probably, I'm guessing, Mike's favorite is a black and white picture of uh, our stripper, Sheila, drinking a tab sitting on, I don't know what the heck that is, some kind of circusy looking thing. 
and um, the ant guy looks like he's trying to, I don't know, mesmerize her or something. Is so, she really a stripper, not a, like, gypsy? No, it says she's a, well, they call her a stripper, and it shows oh. her kind of in a state of undress. Like, she's in basically, uh, in, like, a thong and a bikini top under a robe. Well, so, you know you know how a really good comic... And it says she was working the burlesque tent, so... I don't you know, know if she literally stripped. You know how really good comics get you to research things? Well, I'm really mm-hmm. curious now if there were strippers at carnivals. Well, yeah. You, well, like I said, there were burlesque shows, so maybe it's not full nudity. Maybe it's just one of those things. She starts with an outfit and she gets down to yeah. you know, underwear and tassels are sort of a thing, because that was a thing uh, for at least in shows and reviews, but I have no idea about literally like going to like the state fair and having like a strip tent. Uh, that never yeah. happened in my life. I remember, I remember Maybe going to after Ve- <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to Vegas and we had, uh, my parents, this, we were, I think we were in high school and we had taken a friend with us and they, my dad says, why don't you guys pick out a show? And, and me and my brother and my friend <laughs> looked at all the shows and we were like, huh, these, these looks like a topless, uh, woman's show and we picked it without my dad or mom knowing (laughs) and they bought tickets for it and it was like incredible man (laughs) i mean as being in high school it was like this is the best show ever (laughs) and my mom was just red and embarrassed the entire time but my dad was having a good old time (laughs) oh they went with you that's what I was about to ask you. Is like you watched it with mom and dad. Yeah, they were there with us. Oh man, I remember one time. Um, there's something about Mary was on like Fox or something, and I was like, "There's no way they're gonna show everything in this movie." Well, believe me, they showed um everything, but the the language was in it. So it gets to the part where he's been masturbating and the semen's on his ear and she and my dad's like what is that supposed to be <laughs> oh my and god my mom, that that's so funny and my, mom goes, my mom goes oh that's sperm honey and i was like i'm out i just let <laughs> that, that is so ironic parents. because it happened to my parents too we went to see something about mary with, <laughs> with my parents and my and my mom that scene happened. This was in the theater with people there. Right. And my mom goes, Manuel, what is that on his ear? Oh, no. And, and my, my dad goes, Betty, that is sperm. <laughs> <laughs> and he said it really loud because my parents are deaf. Like, oh, my God. That's so funny that it happened with your parents in the opposite <laughs> order. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. And like I said, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I straight up left the room. I, I don't know if they finished it or not, but I was done. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> oh, those are good stories. I got to seek out this comic book. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I knew as soon as he said it and, and you didn't know what it was, I was just listening for the like furious typing in the background for the... <laughs> My comic shop order. Oh, I added it to my cart. I mean, uh, not my cart, but my yeah. want list. Yeah, I added both of them. Yeah, because, yeah, it's only the two issues. Yeah. I did mostly weird stuff uh, getting ready for today because I, I, I hit the library uh, bookstore the other day and there was like a ton of old comics. And um, it was almost 
you know, I'm sure anything that was quote unquote mainstream had already been picked over. So I found some weirdo stuff. And see, that's the the stuff that I just love, though. Like stuff that nobody cares about. That's the stuff that I like. Wow, this is interesting. I want to read this. (laughs) Gonna make sure you get the whole Mad Dog universe. Well, I was I was looking at the Eddie Current. It looks pretty interesting. I'm not the biggest uh, Ted McKeever fan, but issue one looks very uh, interesting. It looks like he's wired up to some kind of chair in his underwear. I don't know what the hell's I, I going love, on. I love that you did the exact same thing as I did because yeah, yesterday <laughs> when I pulled it up on um, my comic shop to look at uh, look at stuff, uh, that was what I did. I clicked on Mad Dog so I could see everything they put out, and then I was like. Well, this is available. This is available. This is obviously a different Mad Dog, and like, ooh, these Ted McKeever ones. Yeah, that's exactly what I see. If I read the top, the twelve-hour comic book, I would assume it was like the twenty-four-hour comic books that come out, where they, the creators, try to do a comic book in twenty-four hours. Oh, sure, sure. That's what I would have interpreted this to be, but you you say it's like twelve hours of real time, right? That's what it's coming across, more like they yeah, showed okay. before. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I learned something. Yay. I think I might have a couple Mad Dog, but... How about Zombie def- Hitman? Do you have Zombie Hitman? No. I have an issue of that Retief guy I was telling you about, just a random one, like in the middle of the run that I picked up uh, when uh, our uh, record store was dumping their comics. And I just grabbed everything weird that I could find. And that was one I picked up. I haven't read it yet. Maybe a future episode. Yes. I think I have Splat. That's the one I have. Yeah, there's not a lot. We could, This would be a Dead Universe uh, comic book. You could get it all. Yeah, most definitely. The the uh, zombie hitman seems really weird though, because if you look at the dates, these guys ran from 1987 to 1988. They made it one year, and then zombie hitman has a cover date of 1999. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I was saying. I think is <clears throat> actually a different publisher, and they just use the same name. Ah, uh, because I've, I've I've run into that with some of the really small publishers where yeah, they publish you know during the black and white boom or something. And then that name gets reused, you know, that 15 years down the line. Yeah. Um, Mike, does your database have, for that one, have issue one and three, but no number two? For which one? Zombie what? Zombie, well, Hitman. zombie what? Zombie Hitman. Uh, let me check. Yeah, it just has one and three. Okay. Weird. That 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 could that could that that's happened before, and it really is legit. Yeah, it happens so, to me all the time, especially with manga on um on CLZ. CLZ does have one through three on it. Yeah, introduction to evil covenant and blood and assault on something city. It's a small picture class city. Or that something actually there. looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's it like, like a, a mad scientist, and mm-hmm. I don't know. This looks pretty interesting. That looks like Cactus Jack from wrestling, like the one guy on there. Yeah, mm. yeah, the guy with the beard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I'll have to look 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 for these books. It doesn't look like there's a lot. Nope. So who wants to go next? I can go. Okay. Uh, what I've got is uh, Iron Man number one fifteen. 
I just randomly went through some of my boxes of unread comics and decided to pick this one. So you do you do the same thing I do then? You like categorize your comic books in unread and read, or do you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. So I like know everywhere in my basement and upstairs and in storage units what's read and what's unread. <laughs> Yes, yeah. The only thing I, mean, I don't like is because they're not together. That I, I just, <laughs> it's the anal retentive. But, but I have to have it like that so I know what I still, quote unquote, need to read. Like, I mean, up until I don't know four years ago, five years ago, like I didn't really have an unread pile. Like everything that I owned was read. But mm-hmm. then I started buying so much, and yeah. either buying so much or intentionally buying. Like wanting to finish a run before I actually read read through anything, um, uh, you know that I kind of put it started putting them aside in separate boxes, and then when I read them, I I merge them back in. Yeah. Do you ever accidentally read something out of order? Like what do you I, I do for sure. Oh my gosh! Like yesterday, I I got the last two issues of Barbaric at the comic store, uh, oh, and uh-huh. it's only three issue series. Because uh, I've been debating getting the hardcover, but it just, I mean, it's one of those where the math didn't make sense. I was like, eh, actually, the, the, the issues are so much cheaper uh, than getting the hardcover. Forget about it. So I sat down thinking, you know, I'm going to read two and three. And then the next thing I know, I get to the end and it says end of book one. I was like, what the bleep? <laughs> and then I realized I read issue three before I read issue two. <laughs> I, I just did that I've with done flesh. It before, but only accidentally, yeah. Yeah, I did that with flesh eating cheerleaders. <laughs> I was like, I read one, two, and then four, and right. I I thought I read everything, and I was like, well, how did I get from point from this point to that point? And then right. I was just looking through the storage unit, and I'm like, there's three. <laughs> <laughs> so I read it out of order. Yeah, and that one's gonna be. Solicited in previews. I just saw it. Oh, yep. nice! It yeah, flesh eating cheerleaders. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter, and now it's it's coming out. I think I think I remember seeing that. Is that in the newest previews? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. All right. So <clears throat> the cover of this one has uh, Tony Stark in his suit, and he's being uh, attacked by the Animen, and you see a shadow of 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 Iron Man in the background. So looks like, uh, and it says here before Tony Stark can become Iron Man, the Animan attack. <clears throat> a lot of this issue that just happened to, to pull is, is recapping what's, what's happened. It's one of those issues where there's a lot of recap for what's happened in the past issues and not a ton of new story, unfortunately, but, um, Bill Mantlo was the writer and it says, and introducing the pulse-pounding penciling of John Romita Jr., Marvel marches on. So this must be his first go at Iron Man um, with this issue of 115. Um, you see the full team of the Avengers lowering in stasis the Unicorn, who apparently had been um, attacking them in uh, the past issues. And they've managed to... Um, subdue him and they have him in this like uh, solution in this tube and he's uh he's unconscious apparently he's been um suffering from uh cellular um degeneration and 
it gives a whole back history for the unicorn and what he's gone through. And now um, Iron Man, I guess, is going to keep him in this stasis um, until uh, he can ever probably cure him, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, so the rest of the Avengers end up leaving. Iron Man um, takes the, the tube with the unicorn in it and, and puts it uh, down in his lab. It references some other guy that I don't know, um, saying that Jason Beer, with an E at the end, B-E-E-R-E, is kept alive by cryogenics for all of eternity. It's another tube that he's got down there. It references Avengers 169, and Tony thinks to himself, should his heart ever stop, would trigger a doomsday bomb powerful enough to ever sh- to shatter the world. So apparently they have this guy in cryogenetics forever in order to keep his heart slowly beating. I wonder if they ever followed up on that or if technically in 2022, this guy is still down there and maybe that's another, another, you know, that's an old thread that they could pull on if they ever wanted to, that somehow, you know, something happens to him or whatever. But I thought that was interesting that chances are this guy's still down in Tony's lab after all of these years. Um, so like I said, it gives a lot of history on the unicorn and, and what, what he had gone through. And, uh, so that takes up, uh, several pages and, um, the way that that was done is that Tony, uh, hooked up the unicorn to a memory extractor so he could try to figure out what exactly is going on with the unicorn. Also, um, it appears that there's this, um, person, this villain, uh, quote unquote, the other that has used the unicorn and another villain arsenal um, to attack Iron Man, and he's trying, and he was hoping to go through Unicorn's memories to figure out um, who this other is. And although he um, is able to see that the unicorn was rescued at some point by this person, uh, he can't get a grasp on on who this person actually is. The only clues that he has is that he must be um, a very skillful scientist to be able to. He basically recreated the unicorn's uh, costume and made him more um, powerful and was able to slow that cellular cellular um, degeneration. Um, but he, he doesn't ha- really have any other any other leads. So he goes up to his office where his Tony Stark LMD, life model decoy, is um, filling in for him. And he sends him packing and deactivates him because... Uh, Tony says he's got a lady waiting for him and it's time uh, for for Iron Man to leave and Tony Stark to make a real appearance. So he uh, calls down to the garage, he gets his Corvette and uh, he jumps in and starts driving away as a sinister person is lurking behind the shadows um, at uh, Tony Stark's um, around his his, his, um, office. And uh, we don't know who that is, but apparently he's been hired to assassinate Tony Stark. Um, then we cut briefly to this other who is pounding and destroying machinery um, because his pawn, the unicorn, has been eliminated and that um, he's not going to rest until Tony Stark is dead. So that was really like a one panel interlude before it goes right back to Tony driving into the city of Manhattan and... Uh, He's he's going into uh, to his high rise. Um, he 
uh, goes into the elevator and, and puts his little key card in to get into his penthouse. No sooner does he walk out, off the elevator into his penthouse, but he's grabbed by um, the ape man, one of the animen, and throws him across the wall. And um, Tony uh, is, is quite shocked, didn't even have a chance to realize anyone was there. And as he's trying to even stand up, uh, Frogman kicks him and kicks him through the open um, terrace, and he's going over the balcony to his apparent death. But they're not ready for him to die because he's grabbed by Birdman's feet, and throw and Birdman throws him back into the penthouse. And um, Tony knows he's in trouble because now it's three against one. But what he doesn't see is Catman is hiding behind a door, and he punches Tony uh, square in the gut. And after all of those attacks, he's quite dizzy. He can barely um, stand, but he knows he's got to reach his attache case with his Iron Man armor in it. And he goes um, running. And of course, this is when he still had a secret identity, but um, he thinks to himself, he'll, he'll worry about explaining um, uh, the, the Iron Man armor if, if he, after he makes this out alive. Um, however, Frogman sees him um, going after the attache case, and so they assume that there's maybe a communicator or gun in there, and uh, he kicks him again, and Tony is down. You've got Catman standing over him with a blaster, and it looks like he's going to shoot him, <clears throat> but uh, Tony stands up and punches Catman right in the face, and... Uh, and he he shouts out, what have you done with Whitney Frost? Because that's the lady he was there to see that was supposed to be meeting him in his penthouse. And um, the rest of the Animen, the other three, are going to rush him. And there a voice from behind says, that will not be necessary. She's like, we need Tony Stark's cooperation, not his corpse. And Karate chops him in the, um, in the neck. And he falls down unconscious just as he realizes that He's been betrayed by Whitney. And mm. she says, yes, Mr. Stark, it is I, Whitney Frost, or if you prefer, Madam Mask. Dang. And that's the last panel. And um, she says, yes, Tony Stark will restore my father, Count Nefaria, to his proper age or die. And the next issue, Anguish, once removed. So that was, uh, that was the issue. Like I said, it was a real transitional one where all that action didn't really happen until like maybe the last five pages. And up to that point, it was a lot of review, but um, still uh, an enjoyable issue for sure. And we did not talk ahead of time to make sure that we both had frogs in our but, issues. No, but it is important that, you know, we are, we, it's, it's, it's nice to know we're already on a, on a like a, a wavelength there, Joe. Oh, yeah. you had, and it was our lead off. You had man frog, I have frog man. It's all good. <laughs> Whoever goes next, I hope there's a there's another connection. Right? It better be like the turtles issue where they fight the punk ass frogs, you know. Yeah, or or maybe maybe we've got like a uh, throg, maybe a maybe one of you covered the Thor with with throg in it. Classic. Would, yep. yep. Mike, uh I don't think I have any connections, do you? No, no, I don't have any don't have any frogs. <laughs> One of the right, books well, has some creatures that look like it might have a frog attached to it, but <laughs> it's hard to tell. 
<laughs> uh, I can just go ahead then. Okay. All right. That sounds, if that sounds all right. If I figured I'd uh, check first, though, if we could get <laughs> going. Um, so I read the first issue um, that uh, George Perez did on Fantastic Four. Mm. Um, collected in uh, Fantastic Four Visionaries, um, George Perez, um, Volume 1. Uh, and this was uh, inked by Joe Sinnott uh, and written and edited by Roy Thomas. Uh, it's issue 164. Um, and it's called the Crusader Sym- Syndrome. Um, it was kind of neat to uh, to read this issue because it's <clears throat> um, right around the time, you know, uh, nowadays we know um, that um, Sue Storm was um, Invisible Woman was um, at one point powered up quite a bit. Um, that, you know, initially, uh, early days of the Fantastic Four, a whole lot, not a whole lot was made of her uh, powers. And um, since then, you know, she's a combination of just uh, in-universe writing and also, like, outside realization that she could probably do a lot more with her powers than than was initially imagined. And... Um, we see kind of early days of that here. The issue starts off with um, them kind of uh, testing that out um, with her using her um, force shield to repel um, the thing attacking her. Um, And um, Apparently, something had ish- happened in issue 159. Um, some kind of, I don't, an experience with Zemu's Thunderhorn, whatever. Uh, I don't, I don't know the reference there, but it's something that had happened recently that had um, uh, contributed to her powers increasing. So, um, the only member of the team that's not present is Johnny, and uh, he shows up uh, looking just. Uh, absolutely awful, <laughs> by which I mean his outfit, um, not his uh, health. Um, <laughs> I thought maybe it was a joke at first, like he's going to some costume party or something like that. But um, no, I think this is just at the time uh, what maybe they thought he would wear. It's like he's got on um, like flared pants um that are yellow and white stripes uh a white belt his uh button shirt is uh um white and green like geometric shapes uh he's got an open collar with uh like a tightly woven red scarf underneath it and then over top of that he's got a um blue fringed vest um so just uh just an absolutely awful looking outfit um but i think maybe this is the 70s so who knows um but um he's off on a he's off on a date uh, you know as um uh 
Johnny Storm often is, but uh, there's a little added context to things there. Um, that his relationship with Crystal of the Inhumans is recently ended, um, and the rest of the team is kind of discussing that fact. Um, as uh, he's after he's left, um, and um, and then he's thinking to himself on the way to meet his date. You know that that it's something that he's actually trying to do is get over Crystal and and move on. And the the woman that he goes to meet is named Frankie. Um, she's a redhead, uh, and from the, their conversation, I gather that she's a translator at the United Nations. Um, and um, it's not long into their date, and you know he's she is doesn't she, know is he's she, the is human. she the one that usually that became one of the heralds of Galactus. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she became a Nova or whatever. Okay, yeah, I didn't think of that one. Um, yeah. But yeah, Frankie Ray. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it. Um, so they're. Um, it's not long into their date um, that. Um, they, um, you know, and she doesn't know he's the Human Torch. She's keeping that a secret and stuff. And it's not long um, before um, she's, uh, you know, they're walking down the street and there's a blinding light from uh, up above. And there's a blonde-haired fellow in a red and blue and yellow costume up there. That's the source of the um, source of that. And I recognize him as Quasar, but he's. Um, He's going by the Crusader here, um, and you know, we get a um, a uh, splash page, just close up portrait um, of his face, and where he's saying, "You may call me the Crusader." Um, so he, he's a good guy, according to himself, but he's one of those, um, you know, as the Crusades in, implies, um, he's one of those uh, that's going to use violence to purge the earth of evil um and um he starts off on that conquest by um crushing the outside of an apartment building and grabbing an older gentleman in a purple robe uh who looks like he was reading the newspaper um uh named calvin mcclary um and he he grabs a hold of the guy and throws him into the air so Johnny's been waiting, watching this and waiting, and and when um, when the Crusader grabs this guy and throws him, he he knows that he can't delay any longer, and he flames on to uh, Frankie and the rest of the people around him to their surprise, um, and um, he goes, he flies off, you know, and catches the guy with his with his arms unflamed, of course, um, and. And, and sets him down safely. Um, <clears throat> so then he gets into it with the Crusader from there. Um, and um, it, it quickly does not go very well for Johnny. Um, he's he's flying in at uh, the Crusader, and the Crusader blinds him um, with, a, with a bright blast from his eyes. And so Johnny can't see... Um, and so he just um, flies 
straight upward um, so that he doesn't accidentally fly into something or someone in his flame form. Um, and um, surprisingly, um, you know, Johnny doesn't save the guy that he's trying to save. Um, while he's blinded and, and trying to recover from that, uh, the Crusader picks up uh, a huge chunk of the road um, and just um, drops it on the guy. Um, and we see, you know, his feet sticking out in his slippers from underneath this rubble and his his wife uh, kneeling beside him um, crying um, and um, so that that was a little bit of a surprise to me um, and uh, w once Johnny um, you know he, he he's still trying to recover um, and he can sense that he's about to uh, you know run out of steam as it were so he, he uses his last bit of flame to make a number four in the air um and, and just as he finishes that he um you know he gets dizzy and weak and um flames off involuntarily and just starts to plummet um so we get a pretty neat action sequence um where thing uh the thing sees the four um in the air and spots Johnny falling uh, from way up high in the sky. Um, so it's pretty neat um, setup here where um, there's just not enough time for them to get to him, even in the fantastic car. So um, Thing grabs a hold of um, Reed's waist and, um, and Reed just stretches the whole way. Um, you know, and it's it's one of those typical ways of like, uh, you know, increasing the tension where he's like, this is the farthest I've stretched in years and blah, blah, blah. But, it, you know, it's done well. There's a bunch of uh, Perez uses a bunch of like small panels is all focused in on Reed's face, grimacing more and more and more and more and more sweat breaking out on his face. And um, he just makes it, of course. And um you know, as like kind of like catches goes stretches underneath Johnny, so Johnny falls into his stomach, and um, but he's like we're you know we're um, we're too near the ground and we're going to hit hard from the impact Johnny landing in him. It's going to be both of them, uh, and um, but then this is where um, Sue's powers increase comes back into it that she's actually able to project a long distance force field to catch them um and then uh it's kind of neat she um she grabs a hold of ben's neck and ben just keeps a hold of um reed's waist and they let um the fact that reed is shrinking back to his normal size pull them over to where the other two are at so all in all it was just a really cool inventive sequence of um of this uh, quartet working together to save one of their own. And um, so, um, you know, they, they rush in and Johnny, Johnny recovers and that he catches them up to speed. And again, uh, Sue is just able to like, um, 
project a force field over the four of them to give them like space from all the onlookers so they can in the midst of this crowd they can discuss and stuff so we just see your powers you know just being used uh here and everywhere um and so uh the issue ends with um Reed going off to look for this crusader fella on his own he says you know it's better one than all of us um to uh he says it'll be less conspicuous if only one of us goes and he begins to stretch upwards um make his legs really long and and ben says what we all have to be thinking at this point a middle-aged egghead in long blue underwear with stilts for feet and he wonders about us being constricted ah forget it let's go people we all better get some rest uh lord knows we're just liable to need it and that's the end of the issue and um you know great work from george prez as always uh my only criticism is like the last page is kind of it gets the point across because you see um like a city background with reed just kind of stalking his way he's like up as tall as the um tall buildings with his legs just stretched out um and then you have the crusader slash quasar in the foreground in this weird kind of um the, the composition is just kind of odd but um but good stuff i don't you know i when it comes to perez and um marvel i tend to think of his avengers stuff um sort of forget that he you know did enough um fantastic four stuff to um fill a couple trades so um you know all in all i would say this is like was it was a solid issue it stood up pretty well um many decades later so i enjoyed it it's awesome cool it's my turn and uh i'm I'm continuing where I left off last uh, last episode, which I don't even think is released yet, but I have to release it. I'm going with Avatar, and the comic book is Avatars, and it's issue number two. I think last issue I covered number one. And uh, this one, I, I've been trying to find a lot of 1990 type uh late 90s avatar books and they're expensive man but uh this one i had to ask for help to try to find uh because i couldn't find it on ebay i couldn't find it on uh atomic avenue my comic shop mile high any of those and somebody told me a trick on ebay to search google which might leak me back to ebay and give me what I want. So it did. And uh, I found Avatars number two. And this is really cool because it it links all their, some of their properties like Threshold and Pandora and uh, some of their horror type titles into this godlike story written by Barry Gregory and art by Albert Holasso. And uh, the... Barry Gregory must be an artist too, because he's listed as the cover artist as well. But uh, it, it's black and white. It's a really cool story because it involves Zeus taking out his father and then Zeus going crazy, and then Atlas has to form a team to stop Zeus. 
and he gets Bacchus, the god of wine, and Perseus, and all the other gods to go after um, Zeus. And in this one, there's three ways to get. There's three three ways to get. They're trying to get to Hades because there's a weapon there that they can use against Zeus. Um, they've imprisoned all the old gods in Hades, and um, they're trying to get there in order to uh, get the weapon. So there's three ways to go. There's one one way is through the river Styx, and they know that they can't get everybody on the boat with the ferryman. They uh, so Bacchus agrees to go on that route. And they're not sure they can trust him or not, but uh, he's been to uh, the hell hell before. And then there's to go through hell, and nobody wants to go down that path, uh, so that's not an, a viable option. Although there is a a character, I think it's Threshold, that's going that route without the, these guys even knowing. And then uh, Atlas and his team have to go through a back door in uh, Olympus and uh, he takes his team through that that door and the way this I thought this was going to be a conclusion of the story because there's only two issues but uh, they go down that path and then they start this big old battle with a bunch of demons and some uh, demon woman shows up at the end and she said this is my realm now join me or you must be destroyed and that's how it ends and I was like, well, what the hell happened? Huh. Uh, w- why is this not continued? Is it continued? Well, luckily, I, with the power of the Internet, uh, I found Barry Gregory on Twitter. And uh, he basically said that at this time, he, he had departed Avatar, and he didn't know what was going to become of the series. Well, I guess it just never – it didn't have success selling – and uh, it was just discontinued to his knowledge. So it, this this died on the vine. And I was really excited to see where it was going to go to see if they defeated Atlas or not and to see how all the uh, Avatar characters played into this uh, story. But uh, I was bummed out, uh, not because of the quality of the book. It was really well done. That This one isn't like, avatar naughty either well maybe the first issue has a a couple of sex scenes but uh this one was just action-packed and then uh, other than there being some thong scenes with some of their costumes there's really not a lot of uh adult themes in this but uh yeah i highly recommend this if you're willing to finish and get an unfinished story um but I'm fascinated with this period in Avatar, and uh, their books are at least thirty bucks an issue. So they're they're wow. low, low print runs. They're hard to find. Sometimes you can get one for twelve or fifteen, but they're rare, very rare. And um, I don't know if I want to go down this path because it's they're so expensive. But I really do like this uh, genre, and. Uh, it's the bad girls genre kind of thing, and they're not a lot of issues to go, but they're not—they're not cheap. And there, there was a Faust um, back in the day. I got North Star Faust and Rebel Faust. Well, Avatar during this time had Faust 777, 
And uh, that was from the original Faust team of uh, David Quinn and Tim Vigil. So uh, I do want to go down that rabbit hole for sure. And uh, I already finished Cuda. So I am looking to do the Lookers and Pandora and Threshold. But uh, they might be a long pole in the tent. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. I liked it. And thanks cool. to Twitter, I was able to track the guy down. Yeah, who helped you? Do you remember? Uh, Star Joe's. Star Joe's. Oh, right, Ryan. Ryan, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, I didn't get any hits on uh, how to find this book on Twitter, but uh, Ryan from Star Joe's uh, came through. That's awesome. Yeah. As as a thank you, we'll send him a free download of this episode. Yeah, there, there you, you go. go. He won't have to pay the fee. Right. Send him a, send him a screenshot of the cover, too. <laughs> I did tell that's, him that's already. Thank you. I was like, I oh, got okay. it. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, Joe, it's in your uh, court again. Yeah, we're going to. We're going to keep going with old, weird uh, black and whites. This is kind of post-boom, but this is right uh, when uh, manga was starting to really infiltrate into the U.S. And also, I, I believe in Japan, called Super Sentai, what we call Power Rangers. So this is Antarctic Press's number one issue of Zetraman from September of 1991. Buck ninety five cover price. How do you spell that? <laughs> Z Z E T R A M A N. Okay, so I don't know if I'm saying man. it right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I always think the prices on these are interesting because uh, I mean, nineteen ninety one, you might have been paying a buck a book, maybe a buck twenty five for uh, something like Image or or Valiant. You you know, you might be paying a dollar fifty. Well, and, well. Actually, Image wouldn't have hit till 1992. 90, but uh, you know what I mean. Some of the other ones, you might have been spending closer to two bucks. But two bucks for a black and white still uh, in the 90s, it was was kind of pricey. Um, anyway, so there's a little introduction by Ben Dunn, uh, Are We Not Zetra Men? And basically, you know, he talks about, if you know anything about Ben Dunn, I think one of his biggest things was um, Ninja High School. Uh, and the characters in this are from Ninja High School. And I think he owns, uh, um, he's part of the ownership or presidents of Antarctic still. Yeah, I so think he, he's he, still... he shows up in horror comics, exciting comics, and the other ones. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, him and, uh, what was the other guy's name? Fred Perry. Yeah, Fred Perry's yeah. Gold Digger. Yep, I'm reading yep. that too. So I'm learning, I, I've recently become a fan of Antarctic. Yeah, so, they've got some good stuff out there. Yeah, I, but I'm late to the party. I'm probably uh, five years in. I mean, that's when I started getting their stuff. The funny thing is, is I'm reading this yesterday. I'm like, holy crap, this is really familiar. And it's literally the same issue I read not even a week ago of a full-color uh, Ninja High School. I don't remember what number it was, maybe number eight or number nine. And uh, basically, it's the black and white version. So I'd have to dig deeper to see which one came first. But one was put out. Well, this was in 1991. Yeah. So this was Ninja High School Color. Could I, could I ask was... one other question just because they yeah, look so ahead. much like Power Rangers? Yeah, what, go ahead. What, When did Power Rangers hit big here? 
I, I think I feel like I was out of high school, so I feel like it was going to be after this. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this was before um, that. They just look yeah, so. Ninety-one. They look like you got a Red Ranger, a Blue Ranger, and a Yellow Ranger. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's that's like I said, the um the the series they're the, the Power Rangers are based off of, um, the Super Sentai. Uh, they've been around for for a long time in Japan. Yeah. So it, you know when manga and the Godzilla movies and everything was really hitting big in the early nineties. I'm wondering if maybe some of this stuff was like bootleg superhero stuff on, you know, VHS or something. And that was the way Ben Dunn or whoever would have been able to watch this. But uh, I'm looking real quick. Uh, yeah, the color issue came a year later. Funnily enough, this came out from Antarctic and the color issues were coming out through Eternity, which is weird because as far as I know, I know Eternity was... a part of that huge Malibu conglomerate, but I don't think Antarctic was ever a part of that. Yeah, so. this, this is an interesting factoid because they just did this recently, and I, I think it might be Ben Dunn. <laughs> but uh, they, they kickstarted a book called uh, Vampire Ninja Ono, and okay. the Kickstarter was in color, and then later in horror comics, it shows up in black and white. So nice. it, did, it did the inverse. Right. Yeah. Well, who would... Was- not to get too off topic, but who was doing that? Was it AWA was doing that for a while? They put out oh the, like the upstart manga, the, the upstart yeah like the manga magazine style, yeah. style book magazines and then but it was in black and white. But that yeah. value was incredible. Like, oh yeah, I, you get like five I just, issues. Or something. I I can't believe it didn't take off. Like I just can't believe because you would get like all four issues in black right. and white. Yeah, yeah. People just Their don't like black and white. Weird anyway because like. I hate I hate to say this because I want them to keep going as a publisher, but I hate buying the single issues because you know the trade's going to be ten bucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and lately, DCBS, I'm sure that you're in the same boat, Mike. You've been getting we, uh, suddenly all the, uh, again. Uh, it hasn't happened in a long time, but in the past month, uh, getting complimentary copies of several number one AWA issues. Oh, yeah, uh, it makes I you have. Not, it makes you not want to buy them. <laughs> I got a a bunch of the Joneses and the other one is the the hit hit, hit me hit yeah. me oh hit me is awesome I well I mean they're both awesome but yeah it is I love fantastic. hit me yeah. I swear for for a while there I would get a Marjorie Finnegan in every shipment for like oh, six months it was like six weeks in a row <laughs> yeah and I was like what am I gonna do with these I finally started recycling them because I'm like I, I literally had like seven copies of that issue. I think, and then I looked the other day in the short box. I only had the one. I, I got down to the Frank Cho, and I guess I'd given away, away all the regular covers that they had sent me. And, that, and then the movie breaks. One, the the movie breaks out, and they're worth 150 each. And you're gonna be like, "Well, I just <laughs> threw them in the trash." <laughs> I know that's I, that's like my something's <laughs> killing the children story where I sold it to Books a Million for 10 cents. Uh, the the first five issues, you know. Oh and, no! Because I got kidding? the trade. No. I didn't know it was going to be anything. I was like, oh, I got the trade. I don't need these anymore. So I, I sold them, and there you go. Now I don't sell anything. Now now I have a huge room to keep everything in. So. All right, getting into the issue. So introduction by Ben Dunn. He talks about kind of how he's run across the Super Sentai and the different type of superheroes that they have in Japan. So after the intro, we go into the story. It's the planet Venus. 
And of course, that's named after the goddess of love. And this planet is controlled by a civilization of women. They used to have men, but they decided they didn't need men anymore because they were super annoying. Uh, all they really needed was the re <laughs> they needed was the reproductive fluids. So they kept all the reproductive fluids they could and got rid of the bothersome males. But uh, unfortunately, one day the fluid has run out. It was not as limitless as they thought. Well, guess what? Venus needs men. Enter Zetraman or Zetraman. I'm not sure which one it is. Anyway, this is written by Steve Ross and drawn by Ben Dunn, lettered by Craig Miller. Mikey is Zetra Blue. Howard is Zetra Red. And Frank is Zetra Yellow. Thank you. And now Zetra Pyramid Formation. Zetra Pyramid Formation. Ho, ho. And then you have them like leaping up Power Ranger style and they do this nice little pose where they're balancing on each other's pinkies. And then all of a sudden... The Venus invasion begins, and so they have to suit up. Yellow, red, we are the Zetraman. Oh, I forgot blue. Well, ejectors of evil. So they uh, team up, and they attack this one villain who kind of looks like, uh, if you ever did watch Power Rangers, kind of like Rita. She's just in this really crazy getup, and she's got, like, horns coming out of her head. Combatrix soldiers, how dare you be ravaged by these men? These three women must be the leaders. Zetra yellow. You take the one on the left. Zetra red. I'll take the right one. You get the middle. And so they attack. Boom, boom, pow. They grab one. Uh, and apparently her breasts are electrified because when he grabs her around the breast, uh, she gets sh he gets shocked. And uh, then they have to break out the robots because you can't have, you know, one of these uh, kind of Power Ranger kind of things without giant robots. So they bring in their rodent, which is a... a, a a giant uh, Shogun warrior looking fella. He comes in and he attacks the Zetramen. So then, of course, they have to bring in their version of a giant robot and they begin to fight. And as their two robots are fighting, unlike Power Rangers, where uh, they're kind of in the fight, they uh, shoot off to the uh, inside of the actual center command or what have you. So the two robots are fighting. And you have this funny little bit where they're fighting too close to a sitting, uh, too close to a city. He says, attention, J-Mark shoppers. We have a green light special going on in aisle six. And then you see the robot crashing to the wall. Attention, J-Mark shoppers. We no longer have aisle six. Sorry for the inconvenience. And thank you for shopping at J-Mark. <laughs> so they've destroyed the J-Mark. And just page after page of action shots and them fighting. So later on at the, the sheriff's office, the... Uh, Zetramen are taking the one who with the exploding breast in for custody and they overhear something. Oh, Steamhead, it's, it'll never fit. It's too big. Hey, that sounds like Terry. Don't threat, my dear. I'll simply apply more lubricant and work it in very gently. <laughs> and they bust in like, what's going on in here? Oh, we're just building a, a boy. You're, uh, I can't even say it. We're just building you boys a robot. What did you boys think we were doing? So you have a nice little innuendo there. <laughs> uh, they introduce uh, the woman from Venus to the rest of uh, the cast. And they said, you've got a funny accent, Alexa. I noted it, noticed it as well. And if I'm not mistaken very rarely, I'd say it's East Asian with a touch of Latin influence. Actually, it's Venusian. I've never done a Venusian accent. I don't know if that's right. What? Funny, you don't look Venusian. How would they know what Venusians look like? So they've decided that uh, Venusian women have strong spirit, hot legs, positive karma, and bumping booty. Well, you are now our prisoner. 
don't don't say that. And uh, so then they basically uh, go into a conversation with a steamhead who is just kind of like the the, the little uh, professor in charge of everything. And uh, he's going to investigate what's going on. And while they do that, the two females are going to go to the mall. And, uh, of course, you get the the little pervy one saying, like, ooh, I'll help you choose some lingerie. And then he gets decked because that's what happens to kids like him. And uh, on the way out, they say, make sure you take down the nudie photos because there's nudie photos put up in the thing. And then they go to the mall. And while they're at the mall, um, the two of them get into it. And basically, she's like, I'm not going to stay here with you. I'm getting out of here. So uh, she grabs the Venusian girl. The Venusian girl flips her. And, of course, they get the crowd and they get excited. Say, girl fight. I didn't want to hurt you, Alexa. And they're fighting. And they kick one of them off the balcony. And she screams, Terry, no, I didn't mean to. And uh, even though she didn't mean to, uh, Terry is plummeting to the... I mean, this has got to be the tallest mall in the world. Because the way it looks, it looks like it's like five stories up. And uh, the people down below look like ants. But it ends with uh, the cliffhanger of Terry plummeting down to the basement or the bottom uh, level of the mall. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to get the next issue to figure out if uh, Terry makes it or not. Uh, then there in the forward, which is funny because it's actually the afterward. It's the last thing in here. Uh, there's uh, lots of pictures of different um, of these kind of shows. There's a picture for Battle Fever J, Meteor Man Zone, Triple Fighter, Saucer War, Bank Kid, Bio Robo from Bio Man, Ninja Man, lots of stuff I've never heard of, and Dynaman's Dino Robo. Uh, there's an ad telling you can order uh, various issues of magazine, which I'm not mistaken. I think they brought that back in the newer uh, newer previews. That it looked like they brought back the old magazine. And uh, issues, back issues of Ninja High School. And then finally, they give you guidelines to submit for issues. You can submit for the comic furlough, which, uh, number one, stories must be anthropomorphic and have a military theme. So I've never read that one, but apparently it is uh, furries uh, in the military. And then another guideline for submission, girls of Ninja High School. Focus must be on female characters of Ninja High School. That makes sense to me. And last one guideline for submission to ninja high school yearbook 1992 so that's kind of cool it looks like you know they would open submission policy uh you get 12 dollars a page uh if they take it so there you go it's probably too late to apply for any of this but they still do it they still do it joe for exciting comics and those other ones yeah they still take submissions yep so and yeah the last thing they've got in here is a subscription you can subscribe to magazine Ninja High School Yearbook and Ninja and Girls of Ninja High and Albedo, the history-making anthropomorphic title. But uh, I'll tell you what, I want to check out this furlough, the anthropomorphic military book. It sounds bizarre. So anyway, that was Zetraman number one. Sounds like World War Z. Right. Yep. Or what Bring is it, it called? Stuff World War Three that they put out. World War Three, yeah, yeah, the manga one. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's my turn, huh? Yes, it's your turn, Rob. I've got a, another obscure one here. It's called World's Finest Comics. There you Never go. Never heard Sorry. of it. Batman and Superman. 
I do know Batman. 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 Um, it's issue number 241. And it, it the story's by uh, Bob Zaney Haney. And pencils by Pablo Marcos. <clears throat> and uh, this was an interesting one because uh, they are going to launch the very first spaceship <clears throat> that won't just go into a lunar orbit, but will actually um, go out uh, a cross-section of people will try to live for months in space. So it's going to be a 90-day voyage um, with a handful of people, <clears throat> most of which are not qualified astronauts, apparently just cross-section of uh, 1970s America. Um, the they go in to introduce each member of the crew, and the the commander is, um, and and he was in the Air Force. Uh, he's a major, uh, Iron Mike Jordan, um, and they go into. Uh, I won't go into detail for every person, but um, basically you've got like a a Jeff Bezos type guy, super rich. You have a, a woman that's a daredevil stunt woman. Uh, you have um, a boxing champion. You have someone uh, as, as normal as a young widow. Is that uh, the first yeah. appearance of Jeff Bezos in comics? Well, Gotta they ca- they call him they call him PK Osborne. They don't call him Jeff Bezos. Oh, okay. I was, was going to say, if it is, jump. you better jump on it. I better yeah, jump on it, yeah. Shop. Well, <laughs> no, just Joe, Rob said that it was the first appearance of Jeff Bezos, so I better get on it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just ordered. It was $1 for a VG copy. <laughs> um, we've got a rock star. We have an ex-convict um, who, unfortunately, of course, in 1976 here is the only black person on the mission is the ex-convict nice Uh uh-huh and then the other two are a playboy businessman named bruce wayne and a tv reporter named clark kent so they're all gonna go on this 90-day mission they're getting ready and obviously then they take off uh they they then give you a little like interludes like you know a couple days later a few days later you know nine days later etc cetera, etc cetera. and everything's pretty much normal um clark mentions that morgan edge is gonna end up hating the story because nothing is happening um and then suddenly nine days from takeoff um the commander commander jordan um says that he can't raise earth um on the radio they're just getting static and so uh, Clark is looking at the, or maybe it's Bruce. I, I can't, it looks like it's Bruce. Bruce is looking at the instruments there and he says that there's just a void in space where earth should be. And uh, they're checking and double checking. And they're like, Oh my God. It's like these instruments aren't lying. They show that there was a terrific explosion on earth the week after we left. So they see that they, they discovered the earth had, had blown up and, Sure enough, there's all this debris moving towards the ship at high speed. And while everyone is um, distracted by that, Clark quickly changes to Superman. Um, he, he's like, I better check this out. So he flies back and he sees the sun. Um, and right where Earth should be is nothing. There's nothing there. So he's like, I, I can't believe this. He, he flies back, changes back into Clark and him and um, 
Bruce are conferring and he's like, this is unbelievable. And Bruce is saying, oh my God, the first spaceship from Earth is, is, has become the last. People are starting to lose their mind. They're all very upset. Um, what I thought was a strange decision um, at the time, because they're all uh, being affected by this, by this huge unexpected loss, um, Bruce whispers to Clark that the early reactions from the crew should be should could turn to panic. They've got to do something. So what did they decide to do? Well, shortly afterwards, um, the crew sees Clark Kent just floating out in outer space, dead, and um, Bruce Wayne is gone too. Uh, so they end up searching the the entire spaceship and they find. Uh, suicide notes that they couldn't stand the fact that Earth exploded, so that we've ended it for ourselves. Signed Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. And um, I don't know how that was supposed to make the crew feel better, but um, they begin arguing and and getting very upset. Um, the commander says that he's instituting martial law. He pulls out uh, his pistol. He's the only one with a gun. And then who shows up but Batman and Superman? And they say, we were on the Justice League satellite when Earth was destroyed, and we all have to work together because we're the Earth's only survivors. Um, Superman says, uh, listen, we're obviously we can't live forever on the spaceship. I am going to make a new Earth for us. And, of course, keep in mind that this is well before Crisis on Infinite Earth. So um, Superman had those uh, incredible um, powers and basically nothing he couldn't do. So he's grabbing asteroids left and right and compressing them into a new Earth. Um, he finds a comet uh, made out of frozen water and throws it um, onto the planet to, to form oceans. And he goes around um, from alien planet to alien planet until he has inhaled the right mix of three quarters nitrogen and one quarter oxygen and blows it all onto the planet to give the planet an atmosphere that um, people can breathe on. So he does. Um, and they end up landing. They damage. Um, uh, uh, there's a rock uh, that's uh, jutting out when they land. And um, it ripped an open part of the spaceship and damaged, and, and the rock uh, collapsed as well. And um, <clears throat> But they land okay. Um, people start falling into their regular habits. And what um, everyone starts, well, maybe not everyone, but some people are, are realizing that nothing has really changed. The ex-convict is breaking his back building houses while the industrialist Osborne is just watching. And, uh, yeah, keep, you know, he's like, oh, well, there's always rich and poor. Keep uh, keep building my house. So the, the ex-convict, he's using the ax to chop down wood and he um he kind of starts coming after um the industrialist for saying that and uh and batman kind of uh stops him and says listen you you don't want to you don't want to do something hasty uh you know over an idiot like uh osborne so uh the rock star has a radio and all of a sudden the beatles start playing um the widow is is uh, just losing her mind, she crash, she smashes the radio, and he gets upset. And Superman comes to um, see. He's like, "Oh, he's like, no, it's he's like this isn't a mystery. Radio waves are are bouncing all over the place. We'll 
probably continue to get signals for months for months from Earth. And uh, he admonishes the uh, the widow saying, you know, you have to make the best of things. And she says she just wants to die. And uh, more there's more and more trouble going on. Um, they're just constantly at each other's throats despite Batman and, and Superman trying to um, mitigate that. It's just it's just not happening. Everything that happens on Earth is already happening on um, New Earth with uh, a much smaller scale. Um, then, uh, days later, an alien appears, and he says that he comes in peace, and he was teleported to scout for new settlements. And uh, Superman says, no problem, this, this world's practically empty. The rest of the the party, is, you know, except for Batman, they all start going nuts. They're like, absolutely not. This is this entire planet is our private property. They're going to outnumber us and take over. Absolutely, and, you know, the ex-com is like, bad. It's bad enough. I'm, I'm, I'm the only black person with all these white people. We don't need blue-skinned aliens here too. And so they they grab the alien, hold him down, and they won't listen to Batman or Superman. So they are both disgusted and like. And both end up saying, you know, we're we're leaving you you're, to your own devices. We're we're having nothing else to do with you, and they leave. Um, <clears throat> so uh, they capture the alien, um, and uh, the commander is ordering people around. And again, people are saying this is this world's just like the old one. And somebody notices there had been a secret compartment um, near the engines that had been opened up. Um, in the in the landing, and as he's noticing that, he also sees this one-eyed cyclops monster come out from that rock that had been dislodged. And he's like, "Oh my God, it's breaking! This creature is breaking out of the rock that we that we disrupted." And so they all go running back to the ship, and um, because of what the ship is made out of, uh, there are no danger of uh, the cyclops can shoot an eye beam, and Thankfully, it can't get through what the ship is made out of. So they're like, all right, good. Like, we're going to have to take off. Um, we're going to have to find someplace else to live. And everyone agrees this this place is too terrifying. And the alien is back up and about, and he calls them cowards and says, you know, uh, it's like, this is ridiculous. It's like, this this is a, a home that Superman made for you. You won't even fight for it. It's like, I, I'm, I, I'll, I'll fight the monster myself. And so he goes out there and he, he throws a, some sort of grenade that he had and it blows up uh, against the monster's chest, but to no effect at all. And the monster um, shoots his eye beam straight at the alien and um, ends up apparently uh, killing him. Just as that's happening, they end up, the crew inside end up hearing from their ship's radio another um, broadcast from before the Earth blew up. It says, this may be the last words from planet Earth. We're doomed, but we die hoping the brave pioneers of Project Aquarius will carry on the human race somehow. Somewhere we wish them good luck and say goodbye forever. And so they suddenly realize what's, you know, what exactly is wrong with them. They've been fighting each other and arguing this entire time. They're literally the entire human race. and They need to stop up and start um, acting um, uh you know, uh, with a lot more integrity. So uh, <clears throat> they they get a plan together for um, beating this monster, and uh, the rock star sets up his record player and speakers 
um, outside that lures the monster in. And as his back is turned, the rest of them have uh, made a huge catapult with a, a huge boulder on it. And they let it loose, and it hits them square in the chest, knocks them down, and it splits the monster into two, meaning there are now two monsters to deal with. They're like, oh, my God, we have to stand our ground, but I don't know what we're going to do. Um, just then, Superman and Batman, feeling guilty for leaving them um, alone, have, have come back, and they see this just in time. And uh, Superman um, is impervious to the, the monster's eye beams, and he ends up knocking one to the other, and they both, and, and the monster just disappears into nothing. Um, in the meantime, the crew is checking out the alien who had been um, hit, and it turns out it wasn't an alien at all. It was a human dressed in a costume. And then suddenly they hear from the radio, um, their ship radio, saying, Good morning, WGBS brings you news for Tuesday, July 20th, 1976. And the rockster says, That's today, but what the, what happened? The Earth blew up weeks ago. And Superman's, Hang on, I'm going to check this out. So he flies back. And he sees Earth totally fine. However, he noticed that there's these crystalline asteroids that um, had been in the way earlier and must have done some refraction of light blocking his vision to Earth. So um, they find out the stowaway had been the actual scientist behind Project Aquarius. And um, he had unfortunately died. However, this was all some sort of crazy experiment where the rockets, instruments, and radio were gimmicked to make um, everyone believe the Earth had exploded and to test their reactions. Um, and they, uh, I, I don't know how much patting on the back they should do to each other, but um, it, at first they're quite upset. They're like, this is outrageous. But then they said, but you know what? We did survive, and we learned to cooperate and fight for each other. And the the female stunt woman is funny. She goes, I, I even came to respect you men. It's <laughs> kind of funny, but, um, but anyhow, um, Superman flies the Aquarius back to earth where, um, they, they see, um, already on, on the planet is Kent and Wayne and Clark Kent. Um, it says that they were part of, they were part of the trial, and they, they just faked bailing out um, to make the test more realistic, which is not, a, not the truth, but just to cover up you know, their, their secret identities, of course. So this was quite um, – it was actually a fun story to read. It was kind of you know, crazy, all the stuff that was going on. But, um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty entertaining. And I liked how they you know, just wrote it off that this was a huge experiment to test you know, how people would react if they learned that – all of all of Earth blew up in their absence. I'm not sure that's quite ethical, but you know, cool deal. Yep. What was the price on that? I didn't get to look at the 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 cover. Thirty cent. Okay. Two forty one. Well, world's finest two forty one. All right, Chris. Yep. Um, hang on one second. Sorry, my um, 
tablet was just out of reach. Oh. So. Um, all right, well, I'm sticking pretty much with, uh, like, similar era of um, Marvel uh, for my other one. This is my only other thing. Um, and this is um, the Amazing Spider-Man number 130. Um, this is like... So, um, this is actually from the um, epic collection Man-Wolf at Midnight, um, which has issue 124 through 142 in it. And this is kind of like, so this is kind of like in the middle. Um, and it's actually the issue that's on the cover of the Epic Collection with um, Hammerhead headbutting the Spidey Mobile. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of why I um, I read this particular issue, because I, I just wanted to see, um, I think this is the first um, appearance of the Spider Mobile. So I just I just thought that would be um, uh, amusing. <laughs> um, it's written by Jerry Conway. I actually have by... that thing in Amigo uh, Spider Mobile. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was think, actually uh... I was actually reading uh, Old Man Logan this morning with uh, the Spider Mobile in it this morning. Oh, that's right. I forgot oh, about geez. that. But they yeah. drive across the country. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Really cool thing, Chris. I literally reached over and grabbed the the essential closest to me to see if I had that one, and it happened to be right in the middle of the one I pulled out, which is volume six of the essentials. So there you go. There's another place you can get a hold of it if you want to read it. All right, there you go. Uh, yeah, um, very toy motivated appearance here. I think, as Mike mentioned, that's a there's a toy of it. Um, art uh, was. Uh, by um, Ross Andrew, and it's called Betrayed. Um, and uh, special Christmas bonus, the Wild and Wacky Spider-Mobile. Um, so it starts out with Spider-Man in costume. Uh, it looks to be, uh, well, as I said, it's a Christmas bonus, and it's taking place in the winter. There's a lot of snow on the ground, and there's some yellow-garbed uh, henchmen sorts um and uh their conversation's pretty amusing um they're they're discussing how um you know uh that they, they can't stand uh working for their boss um and uh the way that he's he gives them their instructions um and uh you know, uh, maybe he goes into too much detail or something like that. But according to themselves, you know, they're they're not exactly dumb. You know, they're the best in the business and they know what they're doing. Um, and uh, anyway, Spider-Man pops up in the middle and um, makes quick, quick work of them. Um, and he goes to get... Um, information from the last guy conscious um and he's he's about to spill the beans and he says uh um i've seen ha ha and then um 
it, it's just like his as spider-man says it's as though his brain shorted out like a blown circuit um he screams and there's like a flash from his eyes and smoke afterwards uh and it's just like his uh skull burned out um and so uh meanwhile uh it at a pier near 34th and 12th Avenue, um, there's a meeting going on between uh, Hammerhead and a fellow, a green fellow called the Jackal, um, and uh, he's he's he, he's man-sized, um, you know, but um, uh, he's got like uh, a bald head and and really um, big ears. Uh, big pointy ears and um, but uh, it, it appears to be a costume it's like he's all one color and it kind of kind of think at first maybe that's his real body but you can kind of see near his eyes a little bit of um, like sk- normal uh, white human skin color um, so um, they're they're discussing um, you know, Jackals um, wants to um, basically like he's working with the he wants to work with the Hammerhead um, and it's basically saying that um, you know he he can do what the Hammerhead can do uh, on his own what, what the Hammerhead requires like a bunch of men to do um, and um, while Hammerhead's been out of commission um, due to stuff that Spider-Man did earlier, um, the Jackal has like, risen to supremacy in the meantime, and Hammerhead gets real upset. Um, and uh, we we find out that this is all intentional on the Jackal's part. He's, he's trying to get Hammerhead riled up, um, and um, he's trying to play... Hammerhead off of Spider-Man and Doc Ock, because um, Hammerhead at this point uh, hates Doc Ock as well. Um, so back to Spider-Man, and he he heads over to uh, to uh, Fantastic Four's tower, wakes up Johnny Storm. So there's a connection between my two issues, anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, Spider-Man's there to pick up. Um, the spider mobile um this is kind of a neat callback you don't always you know uh i think the very first time we ever saw johnny storm he was um working on a car um so they don't always call back to that aspect of of his background but um johnny storm's been um putting this putting together the spider mobile for spider-man uh last like a little over a month and um They've been working on it together anyways. Um, and um, it seems to be some, some company wants Spider-Man to, to publicize their new non-polluting engine. And so that's, that's where this is all coming from. And uh, <laughs> Spider-Man's rea- first reaction to seeing it is um, to say, now that's what I call a fiasco. <laughs> Um, so, uh, he takes it out for a spin, um, and Johnny follows along, um, 
in the sky. Um, and uh, it turns out um, Peter Parker does not know how to drive. Uh, <laughs> not, not, you know, not unusual for a New Yorker, really. Uh, as he says, you know, um, who needs to drive in Manhattan? Uh, he doesn't have a car. Uh, I know people, you know, in New York City don't have their license. Um, they just don't have a need for it. Um, we, we were so. just talking to a coworker. Uh, you know, she lives uh, downstate New York. I forget if it's Brooklyn or the Bronx, but anyhow, she keeps renewing her permit, but mm. she's been renewing it for like 20 years. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely people uh, in New York City uh, in particular uh, that, you know, don't know how to drive uh they grow up there and never have the need or whatever but um so not not totally unbelievable and i i thought that was neat uh i thought that was neat uh detail there so he's up on the sidewalk and uh you know he he johnny ends up just stopping him like uh well i'm i'm gonna at least give you a few pointers here uh before you end up uh running somebody over uh, and, um, but who's, who's watching this? Um, none other than the aforementioned Dr. Uh, Octopus. Um, he is, um, <clears throat> going to, uh, appear again later, but, um, he's, uh, it's a little bit amusing that, uh, he, uh, knocks out, um, he's on top of a, a pan at the Pan Am and Pan Am building, um, which uh, apparently is Manhattan's only commercial heliport on top of it. Um, and uh, his one of his henchmen says, uh, we was going to meet you at the jail, only we didn't know when, and he just gets uh, knocked out by, a, um, by an octopus uh, tendril uh, because... Uh, he was Dr. Octopus had to walk 34 blocks um, because uh, this guy's mis mistake. Um, so he just gets left uh, on the uh, roof as they take off. Um, so Spider-Man um, goes back to his apartment. Um, he's um, at this time he's living. Uh, he's rooming with uh, Harry Osborn, um, and we get a little. Just a little touch of a future plot line um, with Harry that um, Peter thinks to himself, Harry's either asleep or he's gone. Um, and he's been acting kind of weird since uh, since his father, Norman, died. Um, but then the phone rings. Uh, it's Aunt May. Uh, he talks to her briefly. Um, at this time, um, you know, she's actually um, under sort of under the care um, of Dr. Um, Octopus. He's, Peter refers to him as his, her benefactor. Um, <clears throat> but then uh, Mary Jane comes to the door um, and um, she talks about how there's a, a, a party that they're going to be. Um, she's there because they're heading to a party. Um, and um you know he he thinks about how it's going to be kind of tough to do what he needs to do um if um you know um she's with him uh, he can't just kind of disappear and 
um, turn into Spider-Man. Um, and, um, but uh, that's not so much an issue now as it will be later. Um, a, f- a few days later, he, he's out and about in a Spider-Mobile. Um, it's got a built-in spider signal. Uh, it can shoot uh, spider webs out of the front. It's got web shooters on the front. Um, and it's the same um, henchman as earlier. Um, they have some more like amusing conversations. And then uh, Hammerhead himself shows up. Um, and we get a panel that echoes the the cover of the comic where Hammerhead headbutts the front of the Spider-Mobile and um, Spidey bails. And um, they, uh, they have a bit of a tussle. Um, and um, Spider-Man's not expecting um, Hammerhead to move as fast as he does now. And so he gets... Uh, a flat skull to the back and flies into some um, trash cans in the alleyway. And um, he's on Spider-Man's unconscious for, he doesn't know how long, but uh, when he wakes up, he's gone. Timerhead's gone. And some uh, cops are standing there trying to figure out what the hell this uh, overton overturned vehicle is. Uh, and uh, Spider-Man um rare occasion where he webs up some some officers as a law because he can't um he can't have them uh repossess or or whatever you know they can't uh, impound that's what I was trying to think of he can't have them impound the spider mobile um so he takes off with that um leaves them webbed up and um as he's taken off, he notices a yellow envelope uh, with Aunt May's name on it um, in the snow by by the uh, spider mobile that he grabs. Um, in the very next panel, we we find out that it was the jackal that left this note. Uh, but then Peter goes to this party that was mentioned earlier. Um, we find out that. Uh, the spider mobile has a little switch on it that he can um, uh, use to make the Spider-Man spider mobile look like a blue Cadillac um, when he leaves it somewhere, since it is kind of conspicuous. So he goes to the party. Um, we it's like a Christmas Eve party. We see there's a little bit of like sexual tension with MJ. Um, but at this time, you know, she talks about wanting to, uh, visit the mistletoe with him. Uh, but he kind of, you know, says, he's like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not really in the mood. And she's just like, Oh, okay. Um, and he thinks to himself how he's not really ready for another romance. Cause, um, he's still at this time dealing with the death of Gwen Stacy. Um, so he goes off and, on his own and he opens up that envelope that he found and he's shocked by what he sees and he just has to take off and as a result and leave this party because of it. Um, so he heads off to, um, about 32 miles away, um, in, uh, in costume and to a mansion, uh, in West Westchester. Uh, it's not that mansion um, that you might be thinking of. Um, 
but it is one where something quite strange is going on. Uh, when he peeks through the window, he sees um, a couple getting married, and that couple is Dr. Octopus and Aunt May Parker. Uh, and, you know, as, as was done for many, many years, uh, Aunt May looks like she's about 90 uh, <laughs> and Dr. Octopus is like maybe in his 50s or so. He's an, he's old for comic books, you know, old for comic book villains and stuff like that. But uh, Aunt May for like 50 years looked like she only had a few years left in her life. And, and often she, no she, she was dying, yeah. I, I literally <laughs> thought the exact same thing when I was looking at that panel of them together. He looks like a million bucks and she looks like a skeleton in a... In a dress, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of, that was just always a strange thing, which I never had a problem when the movies decided to de-age her or right. in the fact, or in the case of Marissa Tomei, make her uh, quite a bit more attractive. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it just makes more sense, you know. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, the age difference there. Right. Or, you know, it, it didn't make it wasn't that it didn't make sense. Like he, you could have an aunt that's that's quite a bit older than your parents and stuff like that, obviously, and stuff. But it was just like it didn't set them up very well for her being in the comics for decades and decades, even if even with the things that they do to fudge characters, lack of aging over the years and things like that. You know, it just that was like yeah. an extreme example of that that didn't quite work. But you needed some super soldier serum. Yeah, she did. Yeah, <laughs> something whatever Nick Fury took. She's an LMD. <laughs> Maybe that's one. <laughs> so, Chris, yeah. I got a couple of questions since I actually was lucky enough to be able to look at this one while you're reading it. Um, so the spider signal is that is the point of it to like scare villains that he's like on his way? Is that the point of it? I think so. Okay, I think that. But I don't know why you'd want to scare him. Well, because yeah. it's not like Bat Signal where it's going to tell him to come. It's on his vehicle, so. But right. this is on his this is on his belt. It's like notifying, "Here I am," so it gives you a heads up. Okay. Maybe he wants. The, I don't know why you'd want to give him a heads up though. You'd want to take the bad guys out. Yeah. Maybe, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, uh, I was just going to say my my thought about the spider signal. Not so much specific to the um it being on the spider mobile but just him like because he's had it on his suit before and stuff like that i always kind of felt like it was one of those outside the comic things that had to get pulled in and they needed to find some explanation for it but he, he yeah he seems to kind of use it as like an intimidation thing okay and the only other thing i had is um and, and I'm probably reading this with a 2022 mindset as uh, Jameson's like giving out cigars. And he said, it's one of my very own personal mixture cigars. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm reading that. I'm like, OK, that sounds like it's going to have weed or something in it. Right. <laughs> it's one of those Cuban cigars, probably. Right. It's his personal mixture. I mean, what is he mixing in? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you. Uh, picked up on that because I, I forgot to mention that um, 
was a pretty amusing <laughs> sequence. I, I think the, the 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 at the time they just kind of intended it the joke to be that Jameson is super cheap, you know. Right. That's what I think it meant. Yeah. Uh, but but what's yeah, and I think what's funny in the, in hindsight is that that what you picked up on that. <laughs> Because Peter just, looks absolutely disgusted, like, thanks, you know. He's like, I don't want this. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a throwaway. It was probably just a throwaway line, and, and then it's one of those things that if you end up, like, stopping and thinking about the ramifications of it, you're like, wait, what's going on here? He's like, Jameson is actually making his own cigars, and you know, start to go down that road mentally, and it, and you just really opens up a whole new side of his character that you didn't know was there. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, funny. But yeah, very uh, entertaining issue. Uh, I think Jerry Conway was probably like, I don't know, like five years old when he wrote this, so it's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> he started pretty young in his career. No, I think he's probably in his early 20s. Impressive nonetheless. Michael, well, that was it for All me. All right, so uh, I my my next book is uh, Grendel, number one, volume two. This is the uh, uh, female Grendel, um, Christina Spar. The first one, Hunter Rose. I couldn't get into, man. I tried, I tried, and uh, what it felt to me it was like a picture book at least the early stuff where there's one panel of art and then just this bunch of text and I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. It didn't seem like a comic book to me. So, you know, I, I know a lot of people think highly of Grendel and the only Grendel I had read before this was Grendel war child that came out in the nineties, I think. Oh my God. That's the only Grendel that I've read. Yeah. That's the only one because that's, I never, I didn't really get into like indie books until the nineties to tell you the truth. I mean, yes, I, I poked an Eagle and some Aztec ace and stuff that I would get from the direct market. But man, back then I only wanted Marvel and DC. Like I just wanted to consume as much Marvel and DC as possible in the eighties. And I didn't want anything to do with an independent, especially a black and white independent. No, I couldn't have that. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't color it, I didn't want any any reason to read it. Um, this this uh, Grendel is pretty interesting. Um, it starts this off. This is Kamiko, right? Yeah, this is Kamiko. I think I had the, a couple of issues of that because she's the one with like the really short hair. Yeah, yeah, she's the yeah. Uh, editor at a uh, a book publisher. So it does a, like. Initially, it talks. This is by Matt Wagner. Uh, it's penciled by Arnold and Jacob Pander, the Pander yep, brothers. The Pander they, brothers. They've, yep. they've done this Grendel before in the '90s too, right? Didn't they do some Grendel again? I think they did. Um, so you get introduced to Christina Spar and uh, her other. There's another editor there, and she's got an assistant. Uh, Colton Reese. It's like her boy toy. At least it looks like that. <laughs> it looks really weird. He's dressed in an entirely white suit. Uh, 
he's introduced to Christine Spar, and she says, "Hey, I got us tickets to this uh, play, uh, Kabuki, and uh, it's playing in Radio City. Please go." So she agrees to go to this Kabuki Theater, Radio City Music Hall, and they're all there, all dressed up for the play. And then uh, she brings her son, her son. And uh, he even calls the other girl Aunt Guinea because they're really good friends. And this Kabuki play goes on, and I'm like, I don't really understand what the hell's happening. I was losing interest in the Kabuki. And then he comes off and introduces himself to the two editors. And instead of kissing her hand, Christina Spar's hand, he, she puts her hand out like to be kissed. And then he sticks his tongue in between her fingers. I'm like, Ew. what the hell? He goes, charmed. <laughs> what is that? And then the, <laughs> the son, as he looks at this kabuki guy that was just in the play, he he seems like he's in a some kind of daze when he looks at him. Like, he's just not all there. And then later on, uh, they, she puts her son to bed. Everything seems normal. And then he goes like sleepwalking. It's like he, this Kabuki guy, by, I don't know, licking Christina Spar's hand, has some form of control over her son. I don't know. And uh, he mesmerizes him, and the kid leaves the apartment complex. And uh, actually, it looks like one of those high rise rich people penthouses. And uh, she. All of a sudden, her son's missing, and now she's trying to go to the cops and say, hey, my son's missing. What the hell's going on? The cops can't do anything because of the, I guess, the time period where the kid's missing. Uh, she starts to drink and, and become, uh, her friend comes over, and she's drinking profusely, and she's frustrated as hell. She puts on some, like, cat burglar uh, costume. And then breaks into a, a pu the public library, which I don't understand. It's like, why is the Grendel and his swords inside the public library? Like, I didn't get that. And she had her public... I, I guess they gave her a special badge because she was the editor of the book, uh, this book editor. And she was able to use that. Knocks out the guard and steals the Grendel costume. I want to call shenanigans on that. As someone <laughs> who works at a public library, your key code uh, does not just let you in any time of night. It's only going to let you in during certain but, but, hours. But you are not a CEO editor at an entire a book club, you know, like <laughs> Random House. Maybe if you look deeper, the Random House CEO has a special. <laughs> can go in at three in the morning. <laughs> he can, <laughs> and he can go steal his own Grendel costume if he wants. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, like when this Grendel takes place. I don't even think they have a year, but I swear to God, her car looks like something out of Star Wars, man. It's pretty futuristic. It looks like I a De DeLorean, but like it floats on air. So yeah. Is, yeah. is is Grendel futuristic here? It's got to be because I'm like in one of the cops, like a monster who's like wheelchair bound at some point. Um, I feel like it's pretty far out there. The Radio City Music Hall and the way they dress is not. Um, any different than like it doesn't look futuristic 
Mm. So maybe it's like a Blade Runner futuristic, you know, where it's like then nobody's dressed that crazy in Blade Runner either. Well, like the collars might look futuristic because, but I don't know. That could easily be nineties, like just the way yeah. or eighties fashion forward. Fashion and yeah. yeah, but this car is definitely futuristic. Yeah. And this library card looks pretty futuristic. The one that you say doesn't exist that will get you in <laughs> all hours of the night. But they do show right. like that weird looking creature um, at the yeah. end. And I know yeah. that creature yeah, like has something to do with Grendel because he was in the uh, the Hunter Rose stuff. I remember that. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, this, this uh, looks pretty cool. And it has an ad for Johnny Quest. I've always wanted to finish this. I have this one is an Adam, uh, no, uh, Dave, uh, the Rocketeer uh, does the art. Stevens. Yeah, Dave, Dave Stevens. Stevens I yeah. Think of his name. Then there's an interesting comic. She's a fox. Her name is Ginger Fox, the graphic <laughs> novel of the 80s. That looks like something to read by Mike Barron and Mitch O'Connell. But uh, yeah, this was. You got me at Mike Barron on that one. Yeah, this is. Uh... This is pretty cool. I'm only familiar with Samantha Fox. I, 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 I need, I need you. Or is, no, that's somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> Who is that? Stacy Q. Q. Yeah, oh. I, was, I got my Samantha Fox and Stacy Q confused. <laughs> that's awesome. Rob, I'm going to send you my favorite Samantha Fox picture just because of that. Uh-oh. <laughs> Is it appropriate? <laughs> it's appropriate enough. How's that? Appropriate to me. <laughs> oh, Our... she was, yeah. Babies. And I, I just, I, the other thing I read that I just want to do like a, a two minute review of is this uh, Black Ball um, Monster Massacre. And uh, this had. Like Kevin O'Neill stuff in it, you know, uh, martial didn't he do martial law? This yeah. this was some crazy crazy stuff. I I don't even know what they were trying to go, but they made Al. I, I thought this was neat because they made New Me- Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, like a Las Vegas strip for sex. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty funny. Uh, and then <laughs> uh, the second story, uh, which was my favorite, was King Bastard. That was by Dave Elliott, Anthony Williams, and Robin Smith. The Melting Pot was by Kevin uh, Eastman and Simon Bisley. And uh, Snake Dance was by James O'Barr and John Bergen. And um, I don't know like what John Bergen's role is, but this looks very Crow-esque, um, the Snake Dance uh but it was pretty interesting, and then there was an editorial in the back about how indie people are treated in the by LCS owners, which was kind of interesting. But Blackball didn't last very long. I remember hearing about Blackball um, because there was ads in Wizard Magazine, but I never bought any of it until now. I think there might have been a, a Garth Ennis book, something Pilgrim or something. Just a pilgrim. Yep. Uh, yeah, and that was the only one that I bought. And now I'm trying to pick up all the other oddities. Tommy Audie and uh, Connor did a book too. I can't remember the name of it. 
I'm not yeah, aware of was, that one. A lot of those, like, kind of like uh, people who went on to bigger things. Yeah. There was a couple of Keith Giffen things. I know that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty interesting read for sure. Just a one shot, too. Mm-hmm. That's but cool. That's all I had. Does anybody else have a lightning round thing? I could do real quick, just basically uh, say something nice about something. Uh, sure. Especially, I kind of want to do it now because uh, uh, it was in the post I did yesterday. Um, and uh, the artist actually responded. Probably Kirk. You know how Kirk always says, hey, fill in the blank, check out this. Yeah. You know, um, so anyway, uh, and, and everybody knows the story. So I just want to say uh, it's the Frankenstein adaptation that Eternity did. Uh, and let's see, that was back in 1989. So this was pretty early on for him. But uh, And I'm going to mispronounce his name after I say this, of course. But it's uh, written by uh, Martin Powell and uh, drawn by Patrick Olive. And uh, Patrick Olive uh, popped up on Twitter today saying, you know, that was some of his early work. And I just want to say it is a really nice looking book. It's very much uh, along the lines of the actual novel versus the movie because it starts out in the Arctic. And it's the idea of uh, Frankenstein has created the monster and the monster is, you know, become this, the bane of his life and wants to punish his creator. So, you know, it has the, the fiancé, it has him feverishly building the monster, just really nice, beautiful black and white graphics. Uh, it was a pretty cheap pickup. I think this was one, not one I found in a dollar bin anywhere, but one I had uh, grabbed from my comic shop for a couple of bucks. And uh, this issue ends with uh, the uh, accused governess of killing the child and uh, Frankenstein uh, finding out that it was actually the monster who had done it. You've got a really nice image of the monster, uh, you know, in front of a graveyard, letting him know that uh, he was indeed the one who had killed the kid, and it was not the governess who was just hung instead. But anyway, great-looking book uh, from Eternity. They were doing some really interesting stuff uh, in that late 90s post-black-and-white boom. They were doing a lot of stuff. Them and uh, Caliber, I think, are two ones that if you ever see cheap, they're usually worth grabbing. So there you go. Yeah, it looks cool. Yeah, it's a good one. It's did the did Patrick O'Leaf work at DC? He's been he's, all he's, over, he's, man. He, he, sounds, yeah, he is, sounds like a veteran that's been around yeah, a while. Because yeah. this is 20, 23 years old now, this issue. Oh yeah. I yeah. thought he was the Yeah, I definitely one recognize the... him. I think he did a bunch of DC. I, I think he was in fifty two yeah. or something or one of the one of those weekly books. Yeah, he did he was in fifty two. Yeah. That's where the name rings a bell for me. Fifty two is one of my uh house on fire books. One of the ones I'd try to rescue. That's one of my <laughs> that's right it was. <laughs> yeah. Cool deal. Well, I'm glad we all got to get this is the biggest house we've ever had. <laughs> Usually it's just two of Thanks us. Thanks for inviting me on, guys. Yeah, that was a lot of I'm fun. Glad you got to spend some yeah, time absolutely. with our spider bug and learn how to drive with us. <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining our team, Joe. Yeah. Happy to. You can reach Joe at at Iowa's Joe. And I'm at Mike Myers Brunch, and Chris is at MythMakingETC, which he had to change because of me. Um, 
<laughs> changed back. Changed back, yeah. He... <laughs> and then Rob is at Rob Krieger. Sounds like Seeger. But doesn't mm-hmm. spelled like Seeger. Spelled like Krieger. Yeah, spelled yeah. like Krieger. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us at geekbrunchpodcast.com. Uh, also on Facebook, Geek Brunch Podcast. Click the like button and follow all the episode threads there. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks, hopefully. Maybe oh, we ought great. to adjust Thanks, our guy. time at least once so we can get Kirk. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll, I'll say it's perfect for me. But don't tell him I said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this time is the time that has been uh, good for us in general. Usually, like, if Chris is missing or Rob is missing, it's because they're on vacation. Mm-hmm. Or, or they have something going on. But... Yeah. Well, you'll probably, I mean, especially you guys with kids, you probably have activities on Sunday and stuff. So, that you know, that'll always come in and play. So, but thanks for uh, joining this. This was a lot of fun. I, I have uh, at least that first book I want to seek out for sure. Um, that's interesting, that one that you brought to the table that I didn't know about. So, uh, Man Frog, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That I the covers are intriguing too. Like they look good. It yeah. it looks good. Is the interior art match the covers or not really? Yeah, I think it's pretty solid for an indie book. Yeah. Okay. I would I would say that it's it's not one where you know sometimes what was the guy was it lightning you yeah. would get those and they'd have the great covers and sometimes the artwork was kind of eh. yeah this is it's pretty solid if you like what you're seeing outside it's pretty similar inside. Okay, cool deal. All right, guys, I hope you guys have a rest of a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you in two weeks or so. Sounds great. Thank you, gentlemen. Hope you feel better, Rob. Thank you. I'm hopefully on my way. Seems like it. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 Adios.